Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! Up you wake, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake! This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy, your voice of choice. The world's only 12-hour strong man on the air. And that's the truth. Welcome to Bennington. I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise I won't bore you. I want you to take your hand out of that bowl of Fritos, throw away your National Enquirer, and pick up the phone. Go ahead, pick it up. Talk radio! It's the last neighborhood in town. People just don't talk to each other anymore. You would be very lucky if in your whole life you saw the work of one genius. The form of the tragic autobiography is dead. Goodbye, written word. So I have chosen this form, radio. Talk in my life. Hashtag Bennington. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy doing the nasty to your ears, your ears to the nasty. Eyes only play the platters that matter, the matters they platter. And that's the truth.
the biggest band that never was. The replacements are our house band this morning. Welcome to Bennington. I'm Ron Bennington. With me, as always, is Gail Bennington. No relation. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Wake up, wake up, wake up. How you doing this morning, man? I'm awake, man. I'm awake. Just a little bit awake, though. Just a little bit awake. But I'm getting there. Replacements helped. What helped? Replacements? You know, it's one of those... I remember when I started in uh, radio, my first partner, that exact song, he was like, oh, God, I love that song. And I go, why aren't we playing it? He goes, no, it's not really... Not really radio song. It didn't really test good. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. That's That's an exact radio song. It's a perfect radio song. And, you know, there's an entire generation of kids who are like, I love 80s music, but they don't play that because it wasn't on MTV. What they like, what they mean to say is, I love that my parents listened to MTV. Yeah. MTV MTV raised a generation, I think. Perhaps. They did. And you know they're still on here really. All the VJs. I know, are I think on. that's so great. Uh all right, so it's eight six six seven six six zero three uh three nine. Eight six six seven six six zero three three nine. Uh even though I realize it's way too early in the morning to jump on the Well you know that you don't do morning radio when you just sit around and talk about it being early all <laughs> right. the time. I'm sure somebody who does five days a week morning radio doesn't start the show every time. It's really early. Uh, Every once in a while they do, though. Every (laughs) once in a while you just be like, this is nuts. (laughs) Be up so early. It's always funny, like, if you have on the Today Show and, like, some, you know, movie stars on there just going, ooh, it's early. And, um, and, you know, the Today Show people are like, yep, every morning. You can see, like, that's the worst thing. It's the last thing they want to talk about. Yeah, every single morning. God, you guys get up early, huh? It's always weird, too, with that band that should have been bigger. Um, Who else for you? Who's a band that should have been gigantic? And that does not mean like, oh, this is a band that I love. Right. So they should have been huge. But a band that you know in your heart should have been gigantic. The first one... That comes to mind for me yeah. is the Vaselines. Vaselines because uh, what's his name was in love with them, right? Yeah, and I, that's I think how people got turned on to them is because yeah. of Kurt. Kurt turned a lot of people onto things. Replacements were also a band. Like when he yeah. first started, he was like, "Well, I don't care as long as we sell as much as the replacements. I think that would be cool." And the record company had to say something like, "They sold thirty albums, so we don't <laughs> want to be like the replacements." <laughs> That is not a good bar to say. We want to be bigger, like <laughs> Pearl Jam is. Who's bigger than you? But the Vaselines, I feel, should be a band that get w- today should be brought up all the time. It's you you know, they band. did the show before. The is Vaseline. That right? Yeah, they came in and they actually said something like, if we would have known that the stuff would have you know hung around this long, we would have worked harder on it. <laughs> They're like, sometimes we look at our lyrics and we're like, I don't know. I don't get. I don't know why we didn't just try to fix that one. <laughs> well, there's. I don't know. They've got a great simplicity, but it's very. Uh, it's well, very good. It's just very simple. Very good. It's actually a very good point that um, that you know, simple has to be part of it if you want to be a, a really good pop band. It's got to be singable. It's got to be something the kids like. 
You know, like little kids. Right. Like a little kid should get up and start dancing to your right. bed if you want to be really popular. Well, you know, it's funny because I always think it's it's great how punk rock is like for kids. Like it's 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 a edgy music, but for right. some reason, like very young children always gravitate to it. So like a poppy punk song is just like the most perfect. Here, this this is kid. the best children's band of all time, and this is no way an insult. But Green Day, every kid loves Green Day, and it's like the perfect opening to them liking music. Yeah, my little cousin loves Green Day. And it listens to them at his age, and I was his age when I was listening to Green Day. Right. So they've just maintained the kid band. The only difference is they have more of uh, they have more of that than anything else. You know what I mean? Like he's got all the albums. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris in Indiana. Go ahead, Chris. Hey, good morning, Biggins. Uh, wanted to get talk to you guys a little bit about the replacements. I was a student at IU. Um, Back in the mid to late 80s, and I remember a couple of times uh, when they were playing the college circuit, and they'd play like at the student union, and just like the cafeteria in the student union. It was just really weird how they were, you know, the greatest band. It's just like you said, Ronnie, they're the greatest band that never really made it. Um, and there's no I, reason for it. There's no. I know. Well, you know, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. They were on a smaller label at first, and by the time they got on the bigger label, and at least half the show, they were so drunk that you know they couldn't perform properly. Yeah, I was going to say that's got to be a big part of it because they were they were they were big drinkers, and I feel like they set the bar low for themselves. They were kind of. You know. Do you think that that could even be like, I am a little afraid of this, so uh, we'll blame it on our drinking? Definitely. I think, uh, I think that's got to be a huge part to do with like, the fear of success. Chris, how were they when you saw them? Oh, they were awesome, but they, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, between Westerberg and Chris Mars, they, they, they're, they're dynamic in their own way, but I think you're right about how they get so trash. They may be some sort of like a closet introvert, and that was kind of their way of pulling themselves out of it. And I mean, yeah, I mean, they were, it was just. You know what's funny though? Like they did a Saturday Night Live that you could probably put against any band that ever did Saturday Night Live. I mean, they were just amazing on it. And didn't they get banned for it? Well, not for what they did on stage, what they right. did off stage. They oh, okay. were, you know, wiping shit all over the dressing room walls, just being punk rock babies. I guess I don't really, I can't really remember that performance. I don't know if I've ever seen it, but I thought that it was like. That they were like a mess during the performance, but no, they were they were amazing. The funny thing though is that they, um, I believe, the gimmick was that they changed clothes with each other in between <laughs> songs, so that if you were watching, you just saw them wearing each other's songs the next time out. Um, here's uh, Brian, Brian and Charlotte. Go ahead, buddy. Good morning. Thanks for waking me up with the replacements. I haven't thought about them in forever, uh, but now I'm going to have something I can listen to all day. And I'll, and I'll tell you, going to Minneapolis a lot, Paul Westerberg is, is like a, a patron saint of, of music and at First Avenue, especially uh, in those small rock clubs in Minneapolis. They are uh, 
still pretty well respected as being the, uh, I guess, the godfathers of. Well, the yeah, Rock. and I mean, but the but the point of this is like they should be that everywhere. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. they were really a great American rock and roll band. They really, really were, and to uh, not be remembered that way or not be even known. Uh, by people is always interesting. Um, you know, one that I guess came back from that, uh, bit was, uh, the Pixies, where nobody kind of got them the first time. Yeah. But by the time they came back, gigantic. Yeah, exactly. That was something people kind of caught on to late. And then at least they had some, some good tours after that where they got to. Kind of enjoy maybe some of that success, but during during their actual yeah during the time that they were making those songs, no, they were just pretty much ignored. And then years later, when they were like middle age, everybody's like, "You guys were great." It was almost like the children of the people that should have been listening to them, yeah, appreciated them, which is rare. Uh, a band that we played. Um, Two weeks ago, the Kinks should have been much bigger. Huge. That should be a band that you list alongside of the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Kinks. You should definitely say And then that. the replacements. It should yeah. be the Beatles, the <laughs> Rolling Stones, the Kinks, the replacements. I agree. Uh, but yeah, the Kinks are not thought of that same way, which is uh, crazy. It's absolutely crazy. You know, the who, when you out here in the fields, you know, if, if I even started singing that, there'll be a huge crowd of people who will just come out and be all excited. You know, Did I, is someone playing the who? Um, the Kinks deserve that. They're not going to get it. It's not going to happen for the Kinks. <laughs> and they're another band that they fought with each other on stage and it should have been bigger. But I don't know. Life isn't fair. It's not. That's true. Life isn't fair. <laughs> I think we learned that from Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> if there's anything that Malcolm in the Middle can teach us, A, it's hard to be the middle child. And also how to make meth, right? That was that show? No, well, that was later. That was not really... The, he was the same character who played it. Right, that was a spinoff. Yeah, it was a spinoff of that, that he broke up with Malcolm's mom and he started to make meth. You know, there was a, uh, there was a story... Um, just the other day, and I guess it it happened on a podcast with the the creator of that, who said, um, "Stop going to Walter's White's house and throwing pizzas on the roof." Seriously, guys, <laughs> you know. And he's just like on this podcast. Look, I know it's not you guys doing it. You know, this is like some Breaking Bad podcast he's on. I know it's not you guys. And then like, Mike was in there with him, and you just hear this. If I catch anyone doing it, I'll hunt him down. I'm like, you're not your character, old man, okay? <laughs> like, you're really scary as your character, but in real life, most people would probably be able to beat you up only because of your advanced age. If I see him doing it. I think a lot of guys who get tough guy roles, yeah. I think they probably take on that persona. Yeah, like John Wayne probably thought he could beat people up. <laughs> And then there's this Do you even know how many people I've beaten up before? I can't even count. 
And I kiss girls <laughs> really, really fast. There's this really great thing of like this video of Elvis like flipping the guys in the band while they're all wearing their like white belts, judo white belts or some shit. And you know, just he just decided to show up in Memphis one day and put on a demonstration for people. And he's just beating up his friends and all that goes, that was good, Elvis. And he's like, yeah, man. It looks like I got this thing down pretty good. You know what I mean? Because these guys, these guys would just count the lights anytime he wanted. Another banana peanut butter and a banana, Elvis? Yeah, I think I will. You earned it. After all that fighting. Do you see that? I chucked Red across the room, man. Red didn't even know it was coming. I guess I just grew out of judo on him. Red! Charlie Howes, you get in here. Stop a little karate judo. <laughs> he was just making shit up himself. Now I'm going to stop you with my beam eyes. <laughs> Laser beam eyes. That's good, Elvis. Let me guess. I'm going to guess what you're thinking right now. All right. Are you thinking about Elvis? you thinking about the king? You got it. Bam. <laughs> that was good, E. That was really good. Money buys you a lot of yes men. It does. I would. I'd love to just be running around with them and just saying yeah to yeah. stuff. That's a bunch of friends who. That's funny, E. <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> then he gets around regular people and no one's laughing. That was a tough crowd. It was E. <laughs> um, Tony, Tony. Hey, Ronnie. All those uh, rockumentaries that yeah. are punk and everything else. They always talk about the Stooges, and I have no idea. I couldn't name one Stooges song, but they seem to have been like one of the pioneers of Yes, rock. it's Iggy Pop. You're, you're familiar with Iggy Pop, right? Sure. That's his band that he grew up with. And it's one of those uh, things, they were all kids together. You know, he came in one day with this photographer, and uh, this photographer had done all these pictures of the Stooges like back in the early days, right? And I'm looking this book over, and I'm like, this... These pictures are better than most rock and roll bats. They just look so rock and roll, and they didn't have shit going for them. It was just perfect, though. Uh, but yeah, another one of those things when you're when you're early on, you know, no one knows who Richard Hell is. You know what I mean? No one knows who television is. But then they're all like, "Oh yeah, I know Talking Heads and Blondie and all the bands that came later." Um. Here's uh, Mark, Mark in New Jersey. Hey, man, I saw uh, Tommy Stinson from The Replacements play a house party last weekend. Is that right? Yeah. That's the younger was, brother, right? Yeah, the, yeah, the bass player. He yeah. was brilliant. Was Isn't great. he playing, too? Doesn't he play with Axel, too, now or something? Yeah. Yeah, I heard he gets, like, a, an amazing amount of money just to be on standby for Axel. Yeah. But yeah, him and Bumblefoot are just sitting there. That's right, E. They have to call Axel E now, too. (laughs) Axel comes in and starts giving him karate judo. Nobody knows how to deal with them. I think the karate judo is making you a little uncomfortable today. Uh, 866-766-0339. Hashtag Bennington. So a lot of people are writing to us on there. Um... You know, I, I I look around at some of the folks and I'm like, you are, 
Wait a minute. Did I say that they wore each other's songs instead of they wore each other's clothes? I didn't hear you. You did, that. yeah. <laughs> Thank you, E. <laughs> they nope. could have worn each other's songs, too. <laughs> but... Hey, I've got an idea. Let's wear each other's songs. <laughs> but how, song Paul? <laughs> you put my song on. I'm <laughs> leaving. I made it out no! of he was doing so good with that. I was you, doing good with that. And you called him out on that. That wasn't right. No, it had to happen. It's it's good that it did. <laughs> he was doing so good with that. That's actually from something that I won't forget from when I was a little kid at Easter. Um, I'm like five or six. And uh, at Easter, we got to put the Easter eggs on the table as we ate our ham. So I was all happy. Then I'm like, damn, finally a hard-boiled egg. We're eating like we're in an Irish bar. This is wonderful. So I'm like... I would like put a little salt on my Easter egg and then bite it. Put a little salt on my Easter egg, and I reached over and picked up milk and poured it all over <laughs> the Easter egg and then myself. And everybody in my family ran. So I got up and uh, they were all laughing at me. So I got up and ran and dove face first into the pillow. Remember, uh, like right onto the couch. Remember how like you would be so upset that you would just run and throw yourself <laughs> either on your bed or your couch. So I was just diving into it. I was crying. And my mom was like, ah, oh, that's a shame because he was doing so good with that. You know, the way he was putting his salt on his egg. That's and, one of my favorite stories, and I say that constantly. Anytime yeah. anyone messes up, and then that, and you were never there for it. It was before, yeah. It's just a story I love, but I feel like I was there. I but, love that story. But I can still feel the embarrassing pain, and like <laughs> it, like it, like hurt so much that I actually felt like I saw like my brother and sister's faces laughing and moving <laughs> clockwise around me as a. And I was doing so good with it. I was putting salt on an egg and eating it. Like, my mom was acting like like I had just fallen off my first bike ride or something. Aww. I never even thought you'd get to the point where he put salt on an egg and be able to bite it. And he was doing so good. Only, only a mother can see that as a success in a child like but, mothers will say things about kids who are like he's doing great he just took out the trash and uh, he made his own bed yeah he made his own bed well well he's 30 so he probably should he made a friend at unemployment and uh you know he's doing fantastic <laughs> Oh, he's doing so good. That's his cap teeth. <laughs> but speaking of which, this is like the most annoying thing in the world. Here's your chicken soup yeah. that your mom was just trying to hand me no matter what I was doing this morning. She knows that I have a cough. That's why I keep turning away every time I so, laugh because it's, it's going to get gross. I actually so I like, no matter what laughing. I'm doing, I'm going around and get my wallet and stuff. And I would just say, there's a chicken soup just like being pushed up to my face like here here and i'm like i gotta get the things i need first and then i'll carry your precious chicken soup in. <laughs> so yeah oh god don't start coughing oh no just try not to be funny today. well that okay. won't be a problem <laughs> that won't be a problem at all i'm gonna eat this later and it's gonna heal me um Here's uh, Russ in Illinois. Hey, good morning, y'all. Yeah. First, Gail, you have a great laugh, by the way. Oh, thanks. Who's Pass got a bad one? <laughs> oh, the nanny. Uh, the yeah. nanny has a bad laugh. 
<laughs> That's pretty good. They have a great legs. Anyway, uh, one of the bands that uh, I thought should have made a bigger hit, a bigger splash, so to speak, would be uh, Mr. Mister. They only had a couple of hits. Yeah, I thought they got too big. <laughs> I thought they got bigger than they should have. If, <laughs> if I'm going to pick a band that said their name twice, I would have picked Talk Talk to be bigger. They never got big enough, in my opinion. Yeah, but- you know what's really funny, too? There's something always really funny about 80s music. is like you always know an 80s pop song, right? The yeah. second you hear it. But you have no idea who it is. You're like, you know, yeah. you won't. And people go, you know who did this song? And you're always like, Soft Cell, I think? <laughs> I think it's Soft Cell. Kacha Goo Goo. Well, that's, that's funny always when people say that they like 80s music. Yeah. Like, I love 80s music. I don't know any of the bands, though, but I love it. And people, what song is this? I think that's the Thompson Twins. Because I know that's one of the names that gets thrown in. You don't know specific pop bands from that era. Yeah, there was a lot of one-hit wonders. Yeah. And then, I don't know, I think, I don't know why. But it's weird to be a one-hit wonder and sound like every other one-hit wonder. Like Mm -hmm. one band should have had 12 number one hits there. Instead of everyone sounding the same. Right. Or is that just decade prejudiced? No, there's. I mean, think about the '70s had a lot of diversity, and it's even as popular music. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think the '80s just had one one. Uh, there's solid a sound. there's a sound to it. It's a great sound. If you leave me now, it, I mean, it's very dear to me. It is. Yeah, you love the '80s. It, well, no, it just. 80s pop music just reminds me of being really little. I mean, I think everybody probably has that feeling about the pop music when they were very, very young. It's the weird thing about the 80s is people liked bad music and they liked bad movies. And now, like, even little kids were like, I like the 80s bad movies and bad music. Mm -hmm. Like, people just like it. Like, you know, when, uh, like, any John Hughes movies... Mm-hmm. young people still like you're like really yeah i mean i guess the to me they're kind of nostalgic because i've i saw them when i was very young but anyone who's younger than me i don't know why they would have that it's a really good it. point i think people felt nostalgic even when they saw it the first time i think you could have been an adult <laughs> sitting there watching a john Hughes movie and go ah oh, this takes me back <laughs> to this morning when i got a ticket for this <laughs> There's something really weird about it. Um, let's go over to Justin. Justin. Hey, guys. Yeah. Um, a band that I felt never really blew up and was pretty poppy and punky was uh, the Get Up Kids. They were um, extremely pop-centric, and, and they had hits in the indie scene, but just never really took off. I will agree with that. For whatever reason. Yeah. The Get Up Kids. Yeah. Um, um and- and Piebald, another band They're from Boston. They're like very Weezerish, and like in the late nineties, early. First of all, there's never been a better th- way to describe something than Weezerish. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of Weezerish? I think our band. Um, this, all right, uh, Gunnar writes in about the guy who said Mister Mister not making it big, and, say, and Gunnar says it's a shame about Mister Mister. They were doing so good with that. <laughs> And then uh, Hard Rock Johnny says, uh, hashtag Bennington, putting salt on eggs for years. (laughs) Um, 
Someone just wrote, I wear songs while I jerk off. I'm not <laughs> sure whether I thought I... I, I thought it said clothes. I really did to this I, day. I feel like I would have uh, noticed. I guess I didn't. Yeah. Maybe maybe you said songs. I'm going to trust them. I don't know. Why should we trust them? We should trust ourselves. Well, there's no way to know. There's no way to prove it. So, uh, Jeff. Jeff. Hey, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, always, I always struggle about lumping music in decades, especially when you're talking like the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Because really, if you look at like from 1970 to about 1975, the music was almost completely different than from about 75 to 85. It, it, it well, first of all, if you really look at it, the early 70s mu- music was still the 60s music. I'd say oh, to like yeah. 73. You just got there for the death right. rattle of it all, you know? Right. And I, right. I think that's what happened to the replacements. At least I'm here for that. Yeah. <laughs> because let, you take the replacements and they didn't hit, but they were, you know, they were on the cover of Rolling Stone and you don't take. You know, a band with just like one little hit is not going to make the cover of Rolling Stone. <laughs> we did this together. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. What was the, you were bringing up a gimmick to me the other day about artists and youth. You said yeah, it to me I, on the phone. I was saying that I feel like, you know, there's this this formula that we all buy into that you know the early stuff is the best stuff with most bands mm-hmm. um and even with writers directors well maybe writers less so but you know a lot of artists you're thinking oh yeah their their early work was the great stuff mm-hmm. and is that actually true and if so why like why it, do you think that that's true do I you think, think that that's just made up? Do we all just say, "Oh yeah, yeah, the first, yeah, the first album's good," or first two albums were great, but then they started to turn? Or? I have a, this theory that if you go to see a band, any band, their their set list is going to be at least eighty to ninety percent the first four albums. Yeah, it's going to be that's what people show up to see. Mm-hmm. Now you could say it. So you're saying, do people peak? The, the, do the artists yeah, peak? Early? Do they actually peak? Do you think that that is true? I think the audience peaks early. Right. I think the audience's passion for whatever they're listening to has a lot to do more when they were young. Well, that makes a lot more sense. Like their first impression of this band yeah. is what they liked. That's what drew them to, you know, start listening to this band. But then when they go on a, you know, a journey and change and have you know, experimenting with different sounds or whatever. They're like, no, I, I showed up for this very specific reason. And now... You mean the audience? Yeah. The audience shows up for nostalgia. Yeah. The audience is all about, I want to feel like I did in 11th grade or my junior year of college, whatever that thing was. But I feel like that makes sense for pop music, right? I mean, pop music is like the music of young people. And uh-huh. so like... An aging pop artist. I mean, they just seem to age Are you saying out of the it, genre. But I, it's weird that it happens with all genres. Like, are you saying pop. Mozart's best stuff was his early, yeah, perhaps, early work? Perhaps people sat around and said. Oh, but even now, I mean, be. I mean, now we would be better apt to understand that. Like, if you look at the Doors, right? Mm-hmm. Which 
you and I don't have any nostalgia other than the first time we heard the band, right? Right. Those last two albums are as good as anything that they've ever done. Right. You know, Morrison Hotel. We're still talking about somebody who died at 27, though. I mean, it's like... Yeah, but on their sixth or seventh album. Yeah. I get what you're saying, because they put out albums faster than. But um, I think it has to do more with... I don't even know that the first story of this album came out in 66. I thought that was a 67 album. Because I know that, uh, you know, the whole Summer of Love, uh, they had that song. Yeah. I'm looking over this thing, A-Train put together. A-Train put together an incredibly fast list for us. Lightning but it's, it's not true of actors, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's that's true. You wouldn't say that an actor is, or, no, does anyone say that? But I feel like most actors, especially male actors, they like glorified that are older, you know, like, oh, they really age into something really interesting. Yeah. Older female actors, like, don't get as many roles, so who's to say? They just go away right. somewhere. <laughs> they marry producers and go away <laughs> where we don't have to look at them age. <laughs> Could uh, you go age in the other room, please? <laughs> Thank you. are making everyone really uncomfortable. Yeah. Because they remember being attracted to you and they don't want to feel weird about... I liked you better as a little girl. <laughs> uh, you peaked at 16 yeah. in looks. Yeah. You peaked when I couldn't touch you. <laughs> um, but, okay, what about for writers? I mean, do you think that writers, their early work is often their best work when they're young? Harper Lee. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> her her one and only. Do you know the the, the whole thing about her putting up a, a, out another book? I just heard that. And there's a thing on the iBank today that they think it's elder abuse. They think somebody is getting her to put out a book that she never, you know, spent 50 years ago. Now that it's not something I want to do. And you they, they feel that she's being pushed into it. Just confused into it. Oh. Yeah, so That's there's That's making me really sad. Well, I that's why we wish she would have aged out on her own. <laughs> In her um, own natural way. Yeah, where we couldn't see her. Um, and then I just like it when she writes about chipperos. <laughs> Busting up a chippero. Um, but but I, I think actors and writers go through a period where it's like their golden period, too. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if if someone said to me, I want to see four Jack Nicholson movies... I guarantee you, and, and you know what? What should I say? I'd pick something like between sixty nine and seventy five for him. Yeah, boom. That's true. They're all there, dude. <laughs> same with Al Pacino. Same with Robert De Niro. But don't you think in most things, and maybe it just doesn't apply to art always, that you grow, you learn more. It's like it almost goes against the grain of everything else that you yes. the way you think about it in life. But but there is one field they say a mathematician, right? All your breakthrough is like if you're nineteen or twenty. So it's why they're always looking for genius mathematicians that are kids. And then after that it's all downhill for them. Really? That's yeah. really interesting. I think so a lot of it has to do with they don't have any expectations mm -hmm. of how the universe works. And then the other thing is, you know, your brain cells start to, you know, yeah, you throw your brain cells around like they're confetti. That's I wonder I also if any of that has to do with just like youthful 
like wonderment and yeah, curiosity a, yeah, as well. A, like the universe, <laughs> I'll be the guy that can think of something. <laughs> And then, you know, by the time you're 30, you're like, math blows. <laughs> Why was I doing math? I should have been chasing women <laughs> and drink and song. <laughs> How about you were bringing up your uh, nephew and everyone tries to help him and the whole family with his math homework. It'll get like on an email chain. <laughs> In fifth grade, the rest of the family can't figure it out. I can't help you. I've been I've been sent questions before and i was like couldn't do it then can't do it now i wrote back uh m isn't even a number so how are you gonna find that that's impossible you get a letter right in the middle of your math you idiot you copied it down wrong well there's your problem um james james yeah, yeah. i'm pretty sure that uh when we first hear a band it sounds great we like it but the more we hear them, if they don't change, if they're not dynamic, we don't. It wears out faster. You think if they don't change, they have to make the change. Like you two was able to change and make it work. You know, some of like it, don't like it, but they change. You know, there was never the same thing for twenty years. You See, know, I was kind of thinking it was the opposite. I feel like people get upset when an artist grows a lot of times. A lot of times it's it's grown with for no reason, though. That's the thing. Like, if there's an organic growth, but the whole thing, and you two is a perfect example, where, like, let's break this thing and, mm-hmm. you know, start over. I'm normally like, oh, I don't know, dude. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think you're doing that for any other reason except for that you're comparing yourself to Bowie and the Beatles. <laughs> I guess, but I guess most people don't think that a, a band ages. I, I just feel like that's the consensus for most bands. That they don't grow. They don't. Yeah, they don't grow in a positive way. And if they change, it's for the worse. They don't age like a no, fine wine. If any band, they, uh, if any band changes, I just call them Sellautica. No matter what <laughs> band it is. <laughs> That band was funny that people got mad at them for cutting their hair. <laughs> like you're like, what? Look at them. Like and then I thought Caroline is... No situation. Yeah. <laughs> but the well, funny thing is, why would four dudes decide to cut their hair? <laughs> that is really silly, yeah. actually. Like if we all sat around and going, you know what, as a show, we ought to do something about our hair. You know what I'm saying, A Train? <laughs> it would be strange. I think the band should start dressing alike and sing Come On Eileen. Uh, I will give you this example, though. I I go to um, shows now where I'm still the youngest person there. <laughs> I will go to shows and basically be the kid. Um, that's the way any show I go to. I'm either way older or way younger. But I see musicianship improve. And later on the Rana Fez show... I'm doing an interview with Richie Fure, who started, uh, was in Buffalo Springfield, went to, okay. that band was together for two years and went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, and then after that, he started Poco, uh, and he put out an album. And he's 70 years old. And it sounds like this is 1970 in it. His voice is like a kid's voice. And the, uh, the songs are really good. 
I mean, seriously, and I'm saying that as somebody who's like, I've never been like, oh, I followed him through everything. I haven't. Steve Leeds said here, Richie Furey's coming about, listen to this and see if you want to do an interview with him. And I'm listening to it. I'm like, I feel like this is a, a forgotten album. You know what I mean? It's that good. Right. And he's 70, and he's been like a minister and stuff. Like, he went out and raised a family and See, stuff. See, that's what makes sense to me. It seems like, especially if you think about a, a musician, you've got to get better at your craft if you've been playing for a long time. It only makes sense. And songwriting, it seems like that that you should get better at writing a song the older you get and the more experience. See, that I don't know. I don't know if you get better writing a song. I do believe you can learn your craft more. Yeah. But do you learn your inspiration more? That I don't know. Because that's not something learned anyway. Yeah, it doesn't saying. seem like, to me that yeah. it is. I mean, songwriting, and I'm sure I'll be talking to Richie about this because I'm fascinated to talk to songwriters. And um, you have... Uh, I haven't met one who knows how to write a song. I haven't met one who says... Who could tell you a formula that... Here's the way you write a song. Most of them do something... They give me some metaphor, a personal metaphor of magic. You know what I mean? Like the song showed up. Right. I could actually easily take the interviews that I've done here and put out a book of people not being able to tell you how to write a song. Yeah, I've definitely heard a lot of... Uh of the interviews you've done where somebody is saying like that they just feel like they've tapped into some sort of wavelength but they don't they can't almost don't feel like they can take credit for it because they feel like they like they can <laughs> they can a lot of them will bring up I can start and hear the song in my head and then I write it down like they're listening to a song that's showing up and they're like this is pretty good you know well you, have you ever um had a dream where you're dreaming a song that doesn't exist and then you wake up and you're like well i guess i wrote that song then. <laughs> i must have just wrote see i don't get that <laughs> i don't get that at all um i've never had a song show up in my head really i yeah. feel like that's happened to me a few times where there's a song in my dream that i have never heard before and i'm like but I'm you can't write it <laughs> you have written songs have written so songs. you have that thing but you know what one of the things that got me like really curious about creativity right is that i was at my club when i had a, a comedy club and i was doing crowd work right mm -hmm. and i did i was doing like just it was one of those nights you just on and like i said something and the whole audience was like laughing and i'm like yeah man that was, like while they're laughing i had this thought of that was fast man how did i do that that fast and i was like i can't i i just wrote you know like two sentences in two set in two seconds i can't write that fast right something so you know what i mean like that was that zone thing you know where i used it for whatever hack wit instead of songwriting but I think it's the way songwriters feel. Well, don't you don't you feel like you have gotten better, honed your craft? Don't you feel? Do I think I'm a better broadcaster, but I don't know whether I was saying I'm funnier than I was a kid hanging on the street corner. I don't know if anybody could be that funny. You know, as me and my friends were. So you feel like that is the same, or at least? I think I'm still chasing the same Jones right. of standing on the street corner now. Whether it's better or worse, this isn't the type of art that can be even measured that way. You know, most of what we do here could only be a moment-to-moment -moment thing.
You know, mm-hmm. we're building sandcastles. You know, it's not like you're writing a song that could could last forever. Well, what about your interviews? Don't you feel like you're a better? You're definitely a better interviewer. I wonder if that's more craft than inspiration, though. You think so? I don't know. Well, because yes, there's a craft to it, but it's also just being a good conversationalist. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, well, you know, in in uh, I I will say this though, there is like let's say the fact of when you bring craft into it, you have to have craft to be a songwriter. You know what I mean? Like if. Like you brought up the thing, maybe a melody has shown up to me before, but I have no idea what to do with it. You know what right. I mean? Maybe I've heard in my head, bah, 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 and I'm just like, bah, 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 and then it's gone. You know what I mean? I make a left hand turn where somebody else has to be able to go, oh, I know what to do with this. Yeah. And then we bring it back for the second time. That's real craft, and you have to be able to do that. You know, um, in, in the same way, I always compare it with surfing is like the inspiration is probably the wave. Right. Mm-hmm. But you better know how to surf that wave. You know what I mean? Yeah. You better know how to catch the wave and surf it. And and then that's the only way for the rest of us to be able to measure maybe even that we see a big wave. You know what I mean? Like, hey, someone's riding that. Yeah, that's true. And also, like, um, and if I think about writing, I think yeah. that that's a really great example because everyone, I think a lot of people have uh, an idea that writing is just simply like, oh, if I just could just sit down and write this, you know, they forget that there's a craft to right. writing that it's not just like thoughts on paper. Um, I had a professor in college who was a really great playwright, and she said, um, something that drove her nuts is like she would meet someone at a party and she would tell them that they're a playwright and they're like yeah i just wish i had the time just to sit (laughs) as though that's all it took is just the fact that she had so much free time on her hands she's able to write great plays as opposed to actually being a good writer well you also have to be able to have scotch and pour yourself the scotch (laughs) and i need a cabin I think they've completely lied to us in movies about writing, and we all believe, like, you, well, you get a cabin, get a you cabin. pour yourself some scotch, and then just let yourself go. Chain smoke. And it's got to be a waste paper basket full of, like, thrown out paper. Only in the early part of it, and then you really hit it, finally. <laughs> Even um, if I was writing on a computer, I would still crumple up paper and throw it away. Just throw your like keyboard. <laughs> this is garbage. This is crap. <laughs> I'm not bringing them truth. That's what they need. Can you get me a new keyboard? Um, Anthony in Staten Island. I think, uh, by rule, I think a lot of bands that are really good at writing music in their early ages, uh, like Metallica, the Eagles, a couple other bands, even like Pete Townsend, they somehow lose the ability as they get older to write good songs. I, 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 but let me play with this uh, gimmick for you a little bit. I wonder if you would have taken some of those later songs and put them earlier, would people have liked them better? You know what I mean? Uh, Donald Fagan from Steely Dan had done a solo album. He came in to talk about it. I listened to it, and I'm like, if this came out in 77, it would be a gigantic hit with the same people who are going to either not hear this or hear it once and not hold on to it. Um... You know, you bring up the Eagles. 
I'm, I'm going to play some the the Richie Fury thing, stuff later. You could hear the Eagles doing him. Like, he sounds like Glenn Fry yeah. ended up singing. That's his, you know, he brought that. So I'm telling you that shit is out there, but we don't embrace it the same way as when we were kids. Can you think of any artists that you feel, like, definitely improved with age? Where you're like, no, this 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 band or this artist is definitely better in their later years than their younger years. You know, the reality of it is, by the time you get to a lot of people's first album, they've been doing this for eight, nine years. Right. So if they would have put out five albums before then, you would have said, that stuff's shit. Like, you can go back and find people like Rod Stewart, who did stuff years. David Bowie did many things years before his big. Boss Gags was around for like 10 or 12 years before his first big hit album. So the examples are already there, but we think, oh, once you're together in a band it's already done yeah. you know oh this is where you start it but i don't you know we talked about green day i guarantee you there's none of those guys first bands mm -hmm. they've all been working at it and, yeah yeah and I'll, I'll give you this art form there's not a there's not a comedian who's doesn't take 10 years minimum before they find their voice even guys that get big earlier yeah i know that's something that's definitely said to constantly comics all the time and i can't imagine how disheartening that is for like a young person who you know 10 years seems like a vast amount of it time. is a vast it's like being a doctor you know what i mean <laughs> it's like when you're a doctor you're like you're not going to really be good at operating hearts for like 10 years <laughs> trust me on this you're like but i really want to do it now you're going to make a lot of mistakes I don't care. I'm willing to do it. <laughs> I'm willing to have patients die on me. I'm going to just keep right on going. Yeah, I think, you know, comedy is the perfect thing to show that you need some maturity, you know? I mean, it's hard to value a 22-year-old's opinion on life, yeah. you know? That's absolutely true. Even when they're really funny. And when you're young, it's hard not to be affected by the people that you admire I yeah think. you i think most young comics you can kind of tell right away okay they're doing this person they're doing this person and right. then eventually they tend to you know a, a, any good comic figures out their own thing and they they sound completely different but they sound like the person that they were supposed to be in the first place before they tried to do it yeah they sound like the way that they always sound it in um uh, in their heads, which is funny. It's a, that's like adulthood too. Like if I probably had a conversation with myself ten years ago, I would feel like you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. See, when I was talking to you ten years ago, I was trying to tell you that <laughs> you wouldn't listen to me. I was saying those exact words. And then you just ran out crying and dove into the couch <laughs> face first. I was doing so good with that. <laughs> Still, I wish I had another app. If I had a time machine, I would go back and just try to slap that milk out of my hand. <laughs> no! <laughs> ah, he poured milk all over himself at the table. I think I was wearing like a little Easter suit. Why would that make you laugh? Why wouldn't that make you feel bad? No, it's great. 
Well, do you think it was like a little short suit, like a little uh, no, John John? Y- y- yeah, I would only wear that if my father was assassinated in Dallas, <laughs> and then I would salute. Aww. See? And everyone still loves him. You know, they buried him in that suit. They couldn't have. Um, well, then, it was just, then his pants were just too short. <laughs> TL, North Carolina. Hey, yeah. Hey, happy Friday. This is how you doing. Well, it's Friday the 13th, so it's not that happy. That's yeah, all right. Hey, you uh, brought up a good point but, um, about uh, songwriting getting better. But the Beatles got a little bit better if they hooked up with Dylan writing songs. Because their early songs was a bunch of, you know, bubblegum stuff. You know, so good. Those songs are fucking great, man. Yeah. There's very few bands that have written a song as good as She Loves You. I know. You know? I mean, its stuff is amazing. Their poppy stuff is great. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I mean, that stuff is amazing. Um... Yeah, and I don't know if they learned anything from Dylan. I don't, I think it's kind of hard to learn from your peers, right? Maybe they got pushed yeah, by Dylan, inf- but influenced, but uh but not the way that you're influenced to um th- you know, somebody's <clears throat> just uh, uh I did this thing with um an unmasked a long time ago uh with Jay Moore and he said that the Beatles came from nowhere, that they weren't influenced by anybody. I'm like, "What?" No. Everybody influenced them. Yeah. They actually cover. They did cover songs. That's the weird thing. There is like the the Stones' first album was like all cover songs. Like they didn't even know you were supposed to write songs. <laughs> and then like, hey guys, you'll get more money if you write songs. And then like, oh, write them. <laughs> okay, how do you write them? <laughs> they weren't even sure. Everyone's influenced by someone. Everyone. That's everybody in the club getting tipsy. <laughs> everybody. Even them. Even the Beatles. Mm-hmm. The Beagles. That's bug I mean, that's music. how a genre is born, is really, like, splicing two other genres together, and it creates something else. Like I did with Rockabilly. No one ever brings I that know. up, but I got that kicked off. Yeah, I mean, you were the pioneer, really. Well, people made fun of me because it's a silly title, but I still think bebop Luba is about as good as it gets. Um, and you were responsible for uh, bringing swing back in the nineties as well. I did bring it back because I thought it would be fun <laughs> to do in like L.A. clubs mm-hmm. that young dude bros could go into and start dancing, yeah. wear their chain wallets, and yeah. their two tone <laughs> shoes. Have fun with it, fellas. You know, music is supposed to be fun. <laughs> um. Hey, Wes, PA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, uh, I'm actually a singer and uh, guitar player in a band, and when okay. it comes to writing... I got, I got multiple radio shows, so everybody's doing good here. <laughs> okay? On a uh, on a substantially smaller level, I've noticed that if you if a uh, musician starts writing something and it, and it really catches on with a group, like Metallica, for example, um, their first couple albums were amazing, and then everybody started to say that, you know, they were in sort of a decline... It could have been them trying to recapture something, you know, from when they were younger. You well, just said they tried to recapture the rapture. Uh, re- <laughs> recapture what they had, you know, like uh, trying to recreate the Black Album or, uh, you know, uh, 
Injustice for All. Well, see, there, there's a really, that's a really kind of a, an interesting point, because I think that happens with everybody where you get compared to yourself. So people come out and go, oh, that, uh, that movie I saw, that's my fourth favorite Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> you know, because like this year, everybody went crazy over the Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. And it's nowhere near my favorite, not because it's not a good movie, yeah. it's because I can never be shocked by Wes Anderson again. It might actually be my least favorite, and I still really enjoyed it. Each movie that comes out is your least favorite. It starts, no. the first movie is your first, then goes down. Well, maybe that is true. It is true. Maybe that's true. Yeah, that could be true. Wait, what? what came before this one? No, that's not true. Because... The two kids. What's that one called? Uh, Franny and Zoe. No, <laughs> can't be that. Uh, the one with the two, two children. It's Moonlight uh, Kingdom. Moonlight Kingdom. I'll move that one above Darjeeling Limited. I know we were just we were kidding. Oh, when we said that whole thing. I thought well, you were being serious. No, this is your milk on the egg. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing so good with this conversation. You, you then... were doing good. <laughs> And then you just uh, went like this. Wait, I'm sorry. What were we talking about? <laughs> that happened. This happened yesterday. The fucking Shelby. So f- for some reason, we were like picking um, small basketball teams that we would hope would win it all. And, you know, in the March Madness. So we're going like Villanova and Fairleigh Dickinson and, you know, Gonzaga and all that. And then we get to Shelby and he's sitting at the computer and he just goes like this. Kentucky. And we're like, oh, you mean the undefeated team that won last year? He goes, they are good. And we're just like, you don't even listen to the conversation that goes on. That's I. To be fair, that's me with most conversations with sports. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this uh, back though that, that that Shelby did. So Fez had a, like a lovely day yesterday. I know uh, he seemed like he was having a great time. And then he looks up and. Shelby had put a meme up of him crying, which, by the way, I haven't seen yet. I, I totally missed it. And F- and it was like right at the end of the show, and Fez was still raging about it 12 hours later. <laughs> still furious that Shelby would put up this uh, mean meme, which made me laugh. He was doing so good with that show. He then... was doing so good with it. And then Shelby was the milk that went on <laughs> his hard-boiled egg. <laughs> Uh, let's well, it's break. easy to mistake that with yeah. the salt. Let's break here. We'll be uh, right back. Anything you want to talk about when we get back? Yeah, I think I've got some things we could discuss. Uh, is it the thing that you always go back to? How the Jews tried to ruin Germany and that, somebody had to step in? That is in? not what I'm going to talk about. What's it going to be about? You want me to tell you now? What about movie soundtracks? Who's the best movie soundtracks? Yeah, best right. movie soundtracks. Let's go for that. Uh, hashtag Bennington, if you like to uh, rate us on the Tweet Tweeter. I think they call it Tweet Tweeter. I'm not sure. I think that's right. And then our phone number is 866-766-0339. It is Bennington. You're listening to Bennington on Opie Radio, XM 103, Sirius 206.
replacements, the house band for today's Bennington show. If there was ever a song that I fell in love with first listen is that song. You know? It's a perfect song. It's a perfect song and his voice is perfectly where you need to share that kind of heartbreak. And that song if if there's any evidence that that's, that band should be bigger, you could just listen to that song alone. Yeah. That song may be, and I don't want to, you know, blow the thing out of proportion. That song is probably the best song any human being on planet Earth has ever <laughs> sung and written. There it is. That's the fact. That's it. That's the fact. People in China would agree. Like, there's probably people, if you played that in China, mm-hmm. people in China are like, wait, what that song? What is that? Ah, I'm satisfied too. <laughs> Just people coming from all over the world. We are unsatisfied. <laughs> Wherever they come from, just marching over. It's going to unite Hills, us. yeah. That's why this needs to be a bigger band. Uh, it's going to bring us all you together. You know what? I can't push You it. know what? You can't even try to clock the genre on that song. It's just no. like, it, you can't really human. place it. Human. Human race <laughs> is the genre. The human race. Humanity is my genre. It's a rock and roll song. It's a punk rock song. It's like the post-punky sound. Like you can hear, like kind of REM in his yeah, in his voice well, that, in his vocals. That was actually you know that those that was about the same time. Um, and I remember he was asked, "Do you have to be sad to write a sad song?" Mm-hmm. When did you get so good? <laughs> really? That's that fucking good, you? That I, obvious he was question. Kind of easily impressed with that yeah. kid. Let's be honest. <laughs> to begin with <laughs> everything. everything we're gonna run out <laughs> one of these days we're gonna run out i don't see it happening <laughs> i don't even mind a repeat and which i think we've done constantly all right um a bunch of people have written to the hashtag bennington since you brought up the soundtrack thing oh, now cool. here is a question i'm going to give to you right off the bat all right i'm ready for it don't take this the wrong way oh, but do you prefer the, a score by a single composer or somebody going back and just grabbing a bunch of songs i feel like i have there's a place in this world for both I think that it, uh, it I'm can just be gonna... really cool when you have one artist and that artist is writing a parallel kind of thing or you're just using one artist. But I think there's something great about the soundtrack as just like a really cool mixtape, which is like how I treated them when I was a kid. I had tons of soundtracks because you could learn so many new bands and you would say i would prefer a soundtrack at first and then you would be able to yeah i mean there there are tons of artists that i learned from soundtracks of like i liked the movie i thought that the movie was cool or i liked the music bought the soundtrack and then like started to discover those bands and their albums see i learned from you know i actually went to see a lot of movies because i knew the songs in them right <laughs> <laughs> so i went the opposite direction we met in the middle school. <laughs> <laughs> hey you got movies in my music you got music in my movies you're both wrong <laughs> um so you like some people writing in john williams that's not a soundtrack, that's a score. That's a score. Yeah, and he writes the same song over and over and over and gives it to Spielberg. Right. 
little tweak here and there. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> here comes Superman and the Star Wars guys. <laughs> and here comes E.T. <laughs> and Jurassic Park. It works forever. You can take any of his soundtracks, put them up to those things, and you're just as happy. Yeah, a score, a score is its own thing, and that's yeah. its own conversation, but a, a soundtrack is... Uh... I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you one of each, though. A mixtape that is a score. If you take like Simon and Garfunkel in The Graduate, absolutely. Amy Mann mm-hmm. in a little film called Magnolia. Right, and those songs weren't written for the movie. Mm-hmm. So he took uh, an already existing album, or I think it was either that or an album she was about to put out. You know, just. Stuck it through his entire well, Yeah, because he was listening first. I talked to Cameron Crowe, and Cameron Crowe puts on that music yeah. while he's playing. Now, here's the thing about Cameron Crowe. You might not like all of his movies, but you will like all of his soundtracks. That's true. Yeah. Um, Almost Famous has an incredible soundtrack, but so does, you know, some of his other movies. Yeah, the, my, my sneakers didn't make it. I think it's called <laughs> My Sneakers Weren't Loved by Everyone, and my dad died. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. I didn't even see that one. But really? I, no, I didn't see it. You would love it just for the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, It's the only time that I watch a movie with the vision down. <laughs> <laughs> you know my favorite scene I mean exactly what we're talking about and it's um, it's an Asian movie but it's dubbed but the music is it and then this one part you just hear this person say um, oh I dissatisfied too I unsatisfied hmm, I don't know if that's true we all talk it this way <laughs> what's the name of that movie um I made it up. <laughs> you were doing so good with that. What uh, what director... I mean, if we were going to make a short list of directors who... Who have consistently... Perfect played. soundtracks. You've got to put Cameron Crowe. Yeah, obviously. Uh, Cameron Crowe is... I mean, he was a, a music guy before he was a movie guy, so yeah. his his music is always on point. I mean, just give me some white light, white heat, <laughs> Iggy Pop. Um, Cameron Crowe makes it. Who else makes it feel? Well, I mean, it's a little cliche, but you're gonna have to. Wes Anderson is, uh, has always a perfectly. You don't have to apologize for that being a cliche. Well, because I'm gonna give you another one that's probably cliche, Mr. Quentin Tarantino. Again. Perfect. It, he knows. Uh, he knows what he wants. The man knows what he wants. Um, here's Bill in Rockland uh, County. Hey, a million bucks, Pennington's. How's it going? Million. All right. I would say that uh, Natural Born Killers was one of the best ones I've seen, just as far as matching the, the music with the scenes and just having such a diversified group of artists. You know, you got Patsy Klein, L7, Nine Inch Nails, Rage Against the Machine. Where else are you going to get that? You got Patty Smith you know? killing it. Yeah. Then you got Bob Dylan singing the old song, See the Pumas Along the Now, which is just killer in that. But that out, that movie, I can barely watch anymore. When he came out, I thought, like, this is great. But it did not hold up for me. Yeah, you know? it didn't hold up for me either. Actually, it's a little hard to stomach. I think. Um, can I add one more? Just, uh, just yeah. another idea. Uh, for a TV show, I always thought the way they implemented 
music into and throughout the seasons of The Wire was really interesting. Like, you never actually heard really a theme song. It was always in the background, but I thought it was a great mixture of music. Um, you know, it's interesting you brought that up. TV started doing soundtracks, and they didn't, you know, used to. Yeah. Uh, but, Mad Men always has great, great yeah, music. Yeah, I think it was around the time of the '90s when they started to like, hey, let's go out and find some good, you know, let's find some good music. Although Miami Vice, if you ever watch Miami Vice, it's fucking hysterical. They'll just take time off in the middle of the show and like play a song while they drive around Miami. <laughs> and you're like, how long are we into this shot? Four or five minutes now. <laughs> Yeah, um, Mad Men has been like just killing it with great music. They had um, they played that cover that Vanilla Vanilla Fudge does of "Keep Me Hanging On." Yeah, and I had never I hadn't heard that. Oh, before. it's great, and it's insane. And then that had me starting to listen to a uh, little Vanilla Fudge here and there. Do you know Vanilla Fudge was up here last week? Really? Yeah, a week ago. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm walking down and um, and Steve Leeds goes like this. Ron, have you met Carmine Apiece? And I'm like, isn't life strange? That's really bizarre. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's the weirdest thing to just hear something like that. But, yeah, they were up here hanging out and playing. That's super cool. Um, but I think that's... All, see, a lot of times people complain about music being used in different places, but the fact that you weren't even familiar with that band is yeah. cool as shit. So then it, it kind of turned me on to them. Yeah. I mean, how many Chinese people have like learned about the replacements from that movie? I know. It's kind of incredible. Um... <laughs> Here's Jason in Detroit. Morning, sir and uh, ma'am. Um, I just want to bring up the uh, Goodfellas. I think the, uh, the the music in that movie is excellent, especially the Rolling Stones. All right, Martin Scorsese will use the Stones yeah. on a constant basis, even the same song. Yeah, over and over. He's just like, uh, what do you think we should go with uh, Stones here? Or? You know, what would be perfect for this is the Stones. I'd like to get him some new records, though. <laughs> Turn him on to some some stuff. I uh, I think Goodfellas soundtrack is phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It is great, and uh, no one uses the Stones. You know what's weird though? Though no, I mean we're giving him credit, but you know who he uses all the time? Robbie Robertson. So Robbie will put. I think a lot of that music in, although I've never heard it brought up, but you'll see at the end of the movies, Robbie's name pop up. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's because you're in such a damn hurry no. to leave when the movie comes on. <laughs> um, I, here's another director that you could take any soundtrack and put it into any of his movies and I feel like he has is Woody Allen and his crazy ragtime era jazz yeah. that he's used 80 times now yeah he's got a sound he's got a thing he's uh, honed yeah. into there which by the way I think goes back to when he was 13 and he's like I'm not going to move on from this yeah. it's too damn good you don't you don't think Wes has gone back to the 1966 well too many times Wes Anderson? Um perhaps he he is stuck there. Sure, but it's a great time to be stuck in and you can't deny that. Um hey Kenny, 
Kenny Allen, you're on the Ron and Fez show. <laughs> I mean, you're on Bennington. <laughs> Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning. Um, first of all, uh, the John Williams thing. Uh, I think if you look at two movies like uh, Catch Me If You Can, you saw that. He tried to change it up a little bit, and it worked really well. That movie with Leo and Tom Star Tom. Wars, here ah. comes E. T. I'm back to Superman. <laughs> That's my childhood. Uh, then I'll I'll skip over the other one. Uh, Michael Giacchino is one that uh, has done a lot of scores lately. He uh, he did the scores for Lost, which are actually really different. And he's done even like a lot of the Pixar films lately. Up, uh, I don't know if uh, what your thoughts on him are. Uh, well, I don't see Pixar films really, but um, oh, really? I'm an adult, I guess. If I start dating a baby, <laughs> I will go to those films. Maybe take her to a movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sit through some of her movies for her. <laughs> chick she flick. likes it. It's a chick flick. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, Aunt, you're here on a date, too. <laughs> do, do. You guys have a type. Um, I think it's the same type everyone has. Braces. Bucktooth braces. Um... Again, the the score, I, I think that's great, but I think that's a different conversation because you're not going to, like, listen to a score at home. I do. I'll listen to Midnight Express. Okay. And I'll listen to Blade Runner. Okay. <laughs> you know that's a great score. That's true. Yeah. I didn't know you were, uh, you know, listening to it at home. You know what I yell out all the time at my house? You Blade Runner! <laughs> you unsatisfied Blade Runner! <laughs> You know they're they're doing uh, Blade Runner too, um, unless he keeps crushing so many planes that they can't do it. Right. But they're supposed Thanks. to do forty years in between Blade Runners. You never listen to that. Do, give me the Midnight Express theme. I could listen to this song under any circumstances. Although I'm not even sure if it's a theme. It might be just on the album somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. You never saw the film? No, I have not. That's because you don't like smuggling. If you just would care a little more about smuggling. I, I care. Let's see. Give us some sound. No, this isn't the one I'm thinking of. The one, you rock my dad. Uh, let's hear it, you rock. What am I thinking of? This is it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This song is great. You do listen to this. Yeah, I You know what um, the soundtracks are really good is like if you're on a car trip and you're just like, you know, you're eight hours into it mm -hmm. and you just put on some of these and you're just like, Jesus. You know, um, this one kind of reminds me of uh, a recent soundtrack that was probably probably the most recent soundtrack where I wanted to like learn all the artists. Okay. Drive. Oh, really? Had fucking great music. And it was none... 
No bands that I knew. No, no songs. No, this is all kind of like weird European shit, but right? It was really cool. I remember it taking me out of the movie. I think I had really? just the exact opposite feeling about I'm it. I'm still listening to that soundtrack. Did Drive never come into like Netflix or. I only saw it in the theater. I never saw it anywhere else. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was ever on Netflix. Well, I'd like That's A backing me up 100%. Oh. Um, That's the truth then. Look what it is. It's Hard Rock Johnny, the man who owns famous pants. <laughs> Hello, boys. Um, and girls, sorry. Uh, so to go along with today's theme, artist, I really love the single soundtrack, which had a couple of Paul Do You know, I just saw singles the other night, in the middle of the night. I hadn't watched it in years. I haven't seen it in... A very, very long time. It's so weird. Uh, also, Cameron Crowe. But you're just like, you're watching it now, and you're like, uh, why are you guys being so hard on yourself? <laughs> you know, like, they're just brutal to themselves. Is like, I'm 25, <laughs> and I haven't figured it out yet, man. <laughs> you're just like, easy. Easy with your attitude and easy with your acting. Did you enjoy it? Was it good rewatching it, or is it a good movie? I felt like I was looking at children. Like, even seeing Eddie Vedder, he looked like a child to me. Like, it looked like Muppet Babies. <laughs> but that's a Cameron Crowe movie, and he never makes any mistakes with soundtracks. Yeah, I mean, it was some amazing. You know, it was kind of that brought on a lot of the grunge scene to the, to the masses at that point because it would be. Well, I think they 92. ended up hating him in Seattle for that. They were like, oh, you're taking our scene and trying to package it into this little yeah, movie. Make it like yeah. TV accessible. Like we felt like when Dane Cook tried to do that TV show here at Sirius XM <laughs> and then it never got on and we were all so disappointed. Iraq, have you ever seen it? Yeah, I think I still have two episodes at home. I haven't seen it, and everyone tells me it's, like, really... I'll bring it in for you. Yeah. Uh, it's very on the nose. <laughs> yeah, like, somebody was up here. Like, one of the bosses is being done exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then I always felt like, when I, I saw the trailer for it, and he was wearing the hoodie and stuff, and I'm like, is he doing ope? Is he <laughs> doing, like, an opie thing? But then you don't want to quite say, like, hey, is someone doing an impression of you? Because no one ever takes it the right way. Cause you don't like, want to start that war. Well, like, when people do impressions to me, it's always like, fire, shaky, fire bodies. And you're like, what? I talk that way? They're like, oh, that's exactly you. Fresh, fresh. Anytime anyone repeats something you've said in what they think is your voice, it hurts. It's just like so cruel. Um, I had a uh, celebrity doing it back at me not too long ago, and I don't want to. I don't want to humble brag who it was, so I'm just going to leave it as a celebrity. But it was like, it, why don't you give us a hint? Uh, it's the most beloved person on the planet. I'll just leave it at that. And when I was talking to him, he was going, yeah, remember we can do that. And he's doing it back at me. And I'm like, uh, this is weird. <laughs> this is fucking, this feels like a dream. Yeah, man, maybe we'll do that. I'm like, I don't think I talk that way. And this is kind of great and hurtful, like a hurtful, fantastic thing. <laughs> Uh, I'll say this, Johnny does not have his pants up, so we know it's not somebody from the rock genre. <laughs> okay. Our genre is human. The human um, race. All right, thanks, man. Peace out, Johnny. Anyway, see ya. Andy in Boston. 
Hey, Ronnie, long time caller on the uh, Ron and Fez show. My first time on Bennington, man. Well, welcome. I, I hope you enjoy it just as much. <laughs> Gail, 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 you brighten up my Fridays. How you doing, honey? Oh, that's so sweet. Isn't that nice? That's a nice thing to say to someone. It's weird, though, because you drag my Fridays down. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, so get, you'll get that in 10 years. <laughs> you'll know where I'm coming from. Call <laughs> back. Ronnie, I got two for you. So right. my first my first one's obscure. One of the uh, a great movie is a child of the late eighties, uh, Maximum Overdrive. Lots of great ACDC deep tracks. Really funny thing that you don't pay attention to the movie, but maybe the soundtrack and give me another one. Uh Dazed and Confused, I think it fits the movie big time. It's so good. Dazed and Confused uses Tuesdays Gone. Perfectly. Just as the keg party's ending, uh-huh. that kills. And then they also go in the slow ride at the end of it, which is pretty cool, yeah, too. So great. Hey, did you, uh, one, one fact about that movie, real quick, before I, uh, before I hang up, is yeah. uh, in, the mo- in the beginning, when they got Aerosmith playing, and they're rolling in slow motion into the, uh, into the high school, smoking their dope, uh, if you notice, I forget what year exactly the movie was supposed to be taking place, but there's a uh, a, tr- a Ford truck that's like five years older than that. Doesn't timeline. it always blow things for you? Isn't that weird? Yeah, good times. Hey, happy Friday, guys. He actually just yelled good times. Good times, good times seeing that truck, right? <laughs> We've had some good times spotting trucks that don't belong in movies. That song that they use at the end, uh, that that's just like the most... Slow ride? No, no, no. Um, Tuesday's... T- Tuesday's Gone? Yeah. That song is so great. It's used so well in that yeah. movie. But it's also one of the great songs of all time, Phil. Um, when I was uh, leaving college, I was, was moving out. It was my last day. I just packed up my car turned on the radio and that song had just started and it was like driving you're kidding me. and i was driving away from college listening to that song and uh the keg party was just ending <laughs> yeah, exactly and i just thought that's it the end of you yeah never get any better this is it this is a song about a train. And I just thought to myself, you know, the 70s were obviously lame. Maybe the 80s will be cool, you know? Hey, we'll be in our 30s. 60s were cool. God, didn't you hate the older sister in this? Yeah, she was just the worst. And as an older sister who yeah. had a younger brother who was hanging around the same parties as me, yeah. I didn't really respect the way she uh, I didn't either. You gotta She's look out after your little dude. Yeah, you gotta keep an eye out for him. And she wore her pants too tight around her crotch. I mean, it was just uncomfortable. Let the cunny breathe, honey. Let the cunny breathe. You're going to end up with an infection. You are. It's going to be an infraction. It's going to be so bad. But by the way, the other girl that was with her is definitely cruising her. The one on the left. You know what I mean? That just just kind of laid back lesbian. Her best friend. Yeah, her best friend who just kind of looks at everything that she does. She's just like, we should just have a girls' night, that kind of thing. Yeah, but never will she even uh, come out and say it. You know what I mean? She'll just let it happen. Um, Charles, Charles in Minneapolis. How you doing, buddy? Hey, pretty good, man. I was thinking about Lost Boys. Oh, that was a pretty killer uh, soundtrack. I loved that soundtrack. You know what? I loved that soundtrack. Well, there's... the the muscular sax player. <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing is better than that. I still breathe. 
I still believe. All right, we got to find that cave. now. 40 days. That song is so good. It's amazing. And what other, what other musician would ever be that ripped? Like, why are you that ripped? You're and a saxophone player. I actually read. That's a, a weird look that guy has. Going. I actually read a story about him. If you want to know the truth, and this happens a lot. He was a, a heroin addict, and then now just gets the juices going through lifting. Star when she just comes running. Star. Yeah. Michael's great. I like Michael. (laughs) He's a good actress. (laughs) Oh, there he sees her. He sees Star for the first time. She's so free. Look at her. He doesn't know what it is about her. A little bit vampy, but he doesn't catch half vampire. (laughs) Here he is, all greased up. Look, the sax player just oiled up. Somebody had to oil him before the show. That's somebody's job. This song is gayer than a penis into another man's ass. (laughs) It is the gayest thing that's ever happened. This was the last time I think the sax player ever took front and center of anything in history. <laughs> but then there's also that other like Cry Little Sister song. Love that song. Yeah. Cry Little Sister. Yeah. Thou child. That song's so great. Coming up like the shot coming up over the water and you see like the the festival, like the fairgrounds. Yeah. Great. You gotta think to yourself, like, why hasn't Marilyn Manson ever covered that? Wouldn't he, like, yeah. if you would Manson that up a little bit? That's a, that's a pretty sexy song. There's another version of this, uh, for this song, another video, yeah. where he's playing live in, in concert, but every cutscene is him playing all the instruments on stage. Who? Of this uh, Tim Capello guy doing the, I Still Believe. The, I've never seen it. I've never seen that at all. If uh, if you go back there and just uh, search on YouTube under him, there's a, a live concert video in every cutscene. He's playing keyboards. He's playing saxophone. He does it all. He's dancing with the girl. He must be a vampire to pull off that kind of move. Let's see where we got this. Which one is it? It uh, the beginning of the video says "Zombie uh, presents." I still believe it's a live concert video. Yep, that's the one. The beginning of the song is so good. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> is that him dressing uh, as a woman, too? <laughs> and then he's every person in the audience. <laughs> you can do it all. Hello. In the cave for the days, only the spark my way. Do you think he actually said to people, this is just the beginning of Capellomania? <laughs> I mean, this is just the start, dude. It just picks up from here. Um, Jay, Pennsylvania. Hey, Ronnie B., what's the rumpus? Hey, what's the rumpus, my friend? Hey, um, AGB, how you doing? Hey, what's up? 
Um, I just uh, always get turned on to different versions or different eclectic songs with the Cohen brothers. They always seem to do a great job of reinventing themselves and going in different directions. But I think that I was just on hold and I was just thinking that the I think I still think the the greatest soundtrack from beginning to end and is not going to get beat is the Blues Brothers. Well, yeah, the Blues Brothers is more of a musical. I don't know where that fits in. Yeah. Because that's not really a soundtrack. Right, that's that's maybe uh, a different category. Because the soundtrack should be uh, like a mixtape. Like, do you think of musicals as soundtracks? Like, is Grease a soundtrack to you, or is that just a, a straight musical? I guess it's technically a soundtrack, but I would say, oh, I enjoy the music from the musical. You know what I mean? I think technically means it is one, though. Yes. It is. It is a soundtrack. But I just, I have a different feeling. I put that in a different category. All right, so if we're going in that direction, Bugsy Malone is one of my all-time favorites. Hedwig, for me. It's Hedwig a, is amazing. It's a, it's, a, it's a rock, it's a real rock and roll album. Uh, if you replace that with a band, you know, like... If that was just their album, you'd be like, this band's great. Well, look, here's the thing about... Except for Sugar Daddy. Hedwig. And, and then you're and, like, mm, it's my least favorite song. Yeah, I don't know why you did it. but um, <laughs> Everyone's got that song, though. Yeah. But if you looked at like that thing, he had to make an album. He had, to, he had this short little runway to hit. It had to sound like it was made in late 1973 early 1974 yeah and he fucking landed it right and the guy who did all the music is i'm trying to think of his name i had i had him in the show and um when i interviewed him i remember thinking while i'm interviewing i'm coming on a little too strong i'm coming you know what i mean you just felt like, like i was so like intense to say <laughs> no i want you to understand something this is really great what you pulled off and i see him like yeah thanks <laughs> um, n not Cameron Mitchell. Trask. Stephen Trask. Yeah. Um, Stephen Trask did all the music for that, and it's um, it's phenomenal. It's so good. It's yeah. It's just genius. It really reads like a great album. This is Charlie. Hello. How are you? This good man. Hey, I, I want to know how it is that you're able to be on another channel and this channel at the same time because I just found you and Fez on the indie channel. And here you are on the Opie channel at the same time. That? How do you do that? Well, love. That's the first thing. Not you do kidding. it in, in, in love. You've got to be able to pull that off. It gives you, gives you your inner strength, powers to create amazing things. And lightning speed. Lightning speed has just got to do part of a lot of people are quick. I try to be sudden. Mm. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just think I'm uh, training right now with something called Elvis's Karate Judo. It's just Karate Judo. You're so good at that. Yeah. I was doing so good at it. And then I spilled my milk. Um, hey, John. You're hey, on the Bennington Show. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, man. You know, you got a lot of good callers, a lot of good suggestions, okay. but the number one producer has been left out. 
Quentin Tarantino. Well, we brought him like, up first line. Okay, but just like real quick. For instance, in Kill Bill, right? Those cute Love. little Asian chicks that go, woo, 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 yeah. woo, You know, and then they go to like that uh, hardcore, like, death metal. Like, who can get some cute Asian chicks to really, you know, bang out a guitar and rock out, you know? Um, what are they, the one, two, three, uh... Yeah, they've got something. Some crazy name like the one, yeah. two, three. And that song is a cover from like a really great early '60s song that they're doing, and I can't yeah. think of what the. Aren't the, they the Crazy Eighty Eights or something like that? Five, no, six, seven, the five, the five six, six, seven, seven eights. The Crazy Eighty Eights are the gang that was running around, and then that also has a, a version of your girls, Bang Bang. Love it, so great. Um, yeah, Tarantino is probably the top for a guy picking, and that's because he's a vinyl head. That's because he likes just to listen to weird vinyl over and over. And Tarantino is the only guy I think who does this. He will, uh, he will do the. He'll use somebody else's soundtrack in his movie. Yeah, he'll go back and get a soundtrack from the past. Hey, have you ever seen the director's chair on El Rey? No, I haven't. It's great. It's kind of unmasked, but with directors, uh, Robert Rodriguez sits down and he does an hour or more. He does two episodes with Tarantino. He does John Carpenter, the first one. Uh, oh, they just sent me a, a, a poster. I've been promising all week I'm going to give this out. But check out this poster. This. Oh, holy shit. That's awesome. Yeah, isn't that cool? That is so rad. I said I would give it out to a, a listener, but they sent me a lot of their stuff. I was going to give this to your brother, too. It's like um, their big show, which is like Luchador. They do like a Luchador TV show. So it's all like a interview. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, they play Grindhouse movies from the seventies and sixties. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I gotta check that out. Lucha oh, Underground. <laughs> that's so cute. Yeah. Yeah, this is awesome, man. This poster is so rad. Of Francis Ford Coppola. So Coppola's sitting there, talking about the conversation, talking about uh, you know the Godfather films and Apocalypse Now. It's really great. I gotta check that out. That's another kind of great soundtrack. Um, the one that he did, it's the S.E. Hitton films, not The Outsiders, it's... Uh, Rumblefish? Rumblefish, yeah. yeah. So the good. drummer from The Police is doing the whole tracks. Uh, really, really cool stuff. Um, know, someone uh, brought up the Coen brothers. That, yeah. that uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? was just an incredible soundtrack and then did better sales i think than the movie itself oh like yeah it was, it was way huge, bigger and then did a, then did a giant tour yeah there was a huge tour off of that and then that got me into a bunch of uh like country and bluegrass artists that i wouldn't have heard otherwise like there's um an incredible bluegrass artist who's one of the women who sings on it, uh, Jillian Welsh, and I started listening to her because of that soundtrack. What was think, what what was her song in that? Well, she did she does with the girl she does the siren song. Go to sleep, little baby. She's one of the three baby. voices in that. Um, 
And then I think she might have also done the song where it's like, in the highways, in the hedges. Oh, yeah. I think she did that one. She has a couple songs on, on that album. She's, she's phenomenal. And I wouldn't have, that wasn't really uh, something that I normally would have delved into. And then it had me listening to a lot of bluegrass music after that. Uh, here's Josh wants to talk about the Coen brothers. Yeah, keep it in the vein of the Coen Brothers. I never cared about Western yodeling music until I saw Raising Arizona about 30 years ago. I love the way they use that. Perfect, so great. Perfect soundtrack. Perfect movie. Best movie. It's my favorite movie of all time. Best characters in a phenomenal I love the movie. Uh, is, but, is there any other movie where every line is a punchline? No, it's because just great. I know you have to the convenience stores, H.I., but the sun don't rise and shine on the corner grocery. <laughs> <laughs> they come in funny shapes. Right. Left round, funny. Rounds funny. <laughs> All right, what is the song that Holly Hunter is singing to the baby? This really so that's uh, an old bluegrass song, and that song is like hold on. It's like about murder or something. If um, for I did murder that dear little girl whose name was Rose Connolly. And it's a real song? Yeah. Rose, I think it's called Rose Connolly. Yeah. And it's like an old country song. And she's singing it like a lullaby, which is totally eerie the way she sings it because it's a song about a guy murdering a girl. Yeah, it's sung from his point of view. Yeah. You never hear, like, I'm the murderer. And his father's crying as he's being hung from the scaffold. <laughs> it's like a sad song about his own I'd execution. Ne- I had never heard the song before. And then you just started singing it like that. That was yeah. weird for me. But I'd never heard it anywhere else but her doing it. Yeah, it's. Um it's such a good song. Um, hey, Michelle. Michelle in Jersey. Hello? Yeah. Hi. That previous caller stole my Tarantino Thunder, but I was going to say that uh, Reservoir Dogs, to me, is the absolute best soundtrack. I can pop that in anytime, and it will pump me up and get me going. Super sound of the 70s. It's so great how they use use the radio. Right. Yeah. And how strange to use him doing that. You know, the the least radio (laughs) voice ever. Yeah, that that um, soundtrack is great. Little Green Bag is on that one, right? Yeah. Well, that's what else is also great is that the guys in the movie sit around arguing about the soundtrack. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you'd never seen that before. Uh I, um, you can write it from there, dude. I have, uh, 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 actually saw this happen before. You know, like in the soundtrack when they're trying to bring up, like, hey, first time ever, I realized that he's, she's the one who killed. You know what I mean? How they do that gimmick where they're just taking this pop song. So one time I'm working. And this uh, place, I'm doing an overnight shift, and the security guy comes in. And to me, like at the time, he was like a million years old. So he must have been like in his 40s or 50s. And I'm like 17 or 18. I'd never really hung out and just talked to somebody like this. You know what I mean? That was like of a different generation. And I'll always remember this conversation the, the rest of my life. So he comes in. He's sitting there for a couple minutes. He's drinking a coffee, smoking a cigarette. He goes, "Do you ever hear this uh, this song, Kathy's Clown?" And I'm like, "Yeah." 
Yeah, I have. And he goes, you know, I just was driving and listening to it. And the guy who's singing this song, he's like a real asshole. You know what I mean? Like, he's a dick. Like, he's being literally treated like a clown by this bitch. But he's taking it. You know? He's allowing it to happen. I'm trying not to laugh. And I'm like, yeah, that's the exact point of the song. He goes, what a... Fucking moron this guy is. Did you think of it right away when you heard the Madonna conversation? Uh, and right off the bat. Right off the bat. I'm like, well, first of all, I always thought that the, the brilliant thing about that scene is I don't remember. Uh, and I remember I saw that movie in the theater with your aunt Fezzi and your mom. Mm-hmm. It sounded like I just said your aunt Fezzi, but your aunt was there, too. <laughs> so the funny thing about it is I had never seen people in a movie that the dialogue wasn't pushing the plot ahead you know what i mean and i was just talking about this with ed burns yeah. like it was a mind blower that was, these guys were just talking yeah. they weren't talking about the bank job what they going to do with the loot so little you hear about that talk yeah. in that movie and so much about just what it's like to be in the room with those guys having a conversation just fellas being fellas Toby and i Wong, Toby, Toby Chong. Mother, motherfucking Charlie Chan. I got Madonna's big dick coming in my left ear, Charlie Chan in my right. <laughs> you better give me that back or I'll shoot you. <laughs> but it was just fellas being fellas, yeah. and I'd never seen that before. And that, to me, was way crazier than an ear being cut off. Yeah. You know? And now everybody tries to do it. Yeah. that. Yeah. It said... Uh, Set tone there for a while, especially with the independent films after that. Yeah, you know? until all of a sudden everybody has to be a superhero to be in a film. Right. Although, and I always bust balls on the superhero thing, but did you see that video up where Robert Downey Jr.? I think it might be on the iBang by now, but he's giving a arm to a little kid that was born without an arm, and he shows up, and they, and they Iron Man it out together. I can't. I can't watch something like that. I'm this is gonna No, you gotta you gotta say you're gonna love him even more. And the kid looks like little East Side Dave. Like five year old East Side Dave. Look at him. So this kid was born without an arm and they're giving him an arm to practice with and they give him like an Iron Man arm. And they have Iron Man give it to him. Hey Alex, how are you? Pleasure to meet you. I have another bionics expert on hand, so I thought I'd drop by. Thank you. Yes, a pleasure. Nice bow tie, by the way. Thanks. How are your travels? It's very good. Well, I thought I'd bring uh, one of my gauntlets and match it up with yours and uh, see if everything's copacetic. You want to have a look? Sure. Ready? Yep. Great. Each one looks the same. He's got an Actually, Iron Man yours arm. Actually, might be better than mine. What do you say we uh, we both try them on, do a progress report? Okay. You know who that is? Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Robert. Great. He can't even look at him. I... That's Robert, Iron Man. Now look at him. Cool, I thought. <clears throat> look, it works. I'm having a technical glitch. Um, as you can see, my light isn't working. Half the time, 
you know, I design one of these, it winds up breaking on me. But what I do is I keep working on it, kind of like you're working on it with Albert. He keeps working and working until he gets it right. Yeah. I think yours is still a little bit more right than mine because at least, you know... The lights work. Your light works, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, look, you're that. holding yeah. hands it's a with this new arm. of robotic technologies. Bang, nailed it. Love it. Love that dude, man. Hey. Oh, Robert Downey Jr.? So sweet. That yeah. was the sweetest. Yeah. But, like, here's how far we live in the future. This kid just got a, an Iron Man arm. <laughs> That's incredible. That kid couldn't be any cuter. No, he's adorable. He uh, wouldn't look him in the eye. He wouldn't look him in the eye yeah. like it was Santa Claus. Robert. That's Iron Man, Robert. It's Robert. <laughs> he was just like, wow, that's Iron Man, but let's keep our shit together here. Let's not lose it. <laughs> but like that kid is just trying on, and the hand works. He can pick stuff up. It's phenomenal. It's crazy. Now, I remember when I was younger and a kid lost his arm and they just had to tie off his sleeve. Yeah. Like it would wear a long sleeve. <laughs> and then just somebody would tie the end of it for him. Like here, this is what you do so no one looks at the fact that you're missing an arm. That's all fixed up there. That's so all there great go. for you. Um, let's go over to um, Laura. Hey, Laura. Hello. Yeah. How are you? Good. Since you guys are talking movie soundtracks, and I know you're doing, like, good ones, the worst one ever, Scarface. No, I don't remember anything about Scarface. Get out of here. Every time we watch that movie, because it's funny now. It wasn't then, but, oh, my God. You have to. Just find it. I I swear you won't. My husband's somewhere laughing right now. The music's horrible. I, think, I can't remember any music from oh, that Oh, come on. I know. <laughs> th- stop being angry about it. We're just tra- trying to be friendly. We're still your friends. I think I think the dialogue was already bad. <laughs> I know. No, uh, music's worse. <laughs> all right, Debbie wow. Harry is on there. That's not so That's awful. Not bad. Most of the other people I'm not familiar not with. sure. Well, now I'm going to have to rewatch this movie and see what's going on with this soundtrack. Thank you. All right, peace. But in this, you know, we were talking about Tarantino. uh, Like, he had to have stuck in the middle with you. Uh And he didn't have any money. And they were charging like 10 grand, which would have been his whole soundtrack thing. He was like, he was like thinking about not even doing the film. Like, if he couldn't get the song. It was so important to him to have it. Well, it's so great in that scene. It couldn't be any eerier. That song is perfect. You know what's weird is like you go back and watch True Romance and they don't use any Tarantino type music, mm-hmm. you know? It's pretty bizarre. It changes the texture completely. It's his it feels like his movie with right. the writing and the dialogue, but then it's But there's songs in that thing I love. Yeah, um that score is very much Based on, and I'm trying to think of the other movie. It's like the score is so similar to it. Mm, I don't know. I'm lost. I'm trying to remember. I know it's based on another score. Another, um, whatever I'll think. And I would murder that sweet little girl. Rose Connolly. Um, Brian in Raleigh. Brian. 
Oh, what's going on, Benningtons? Hey. Uh, the soundtrack to the movie Swingers is fantastic for a couple of reasons. First off, it's just it's it's a great it's variety swing of music. music. <laughs> but it's it, here's the thing: it's not all swing music. You get the Dean Martin, you get some Tony Bennett, but you also there's some average white band in there. You get some of the newer stuff, uh, the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy stuff. It yeah. is really and there's some George Jones in there. Rodney We're all Miller. familiar with it. <laughs> We're all oh, familiar good. with that <laughs> little cul-de-sac, that little swing cul-de-sac like of the two, 90s. three-year time where yeah. swing was like a thing. And I think swingers really helped that. Oh, helped I think it, it and heard it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, brought yeah. it up, and then, oh. I well, I get, then all of a sudden there was like towns in like Akron and Orlando would have swing night. Yeah. We're doing swing night. S- swing lessons were like yeah. a thing for a minute. People wanted to learn how to dance like that. We need to break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Bennington. This is Bennington. Opie Radio. XM 103. Sirius 206.
on for the Bennington show this week, the replacements, the replacements. Uh, also reminding people tonight on the Opie channel at 11 o'clock and over on the Indie channel at 9 p.m. is Unmasked with Paul F. Tompkins, one of the best we've ever done. Actually, one of my one. one of my favorite people of all time. He's so super funny, and it's a great unmask. I was there for that one. He's ridiculously funny, but also dresses like he's going to rob a bank in Gotham City. <laughs> Just a great way of looking. Uh, really a lot of style. Uh, really, really funny guy, though. Scary yeah. funny. Yeah. I I saw him at the Bell House a few years ago, and I was crazy laughing. Like, I had... Like, I was seeing white. I was, like, so silly that I had, like, a little adrenaline rush after the show. It's the uncomfortable laughing. Yeah. Like, you've hurt me through your laughter. Yeah. Actually, even I had gone with a group of friends, and one of the guys who I was with just was kind of... I kept laughing, and then I would look and see him looking at me confused. Like, how could anyone be enjoying themselves as much as you're enjoying He, he probably was thinking, are you tripping? Yeah. I think he didn't believe... That I was uh, losing it the way I was. But that guy really cracks me up. He's super funny. I've never liked laughing really, really hard. I know I've never find it, found it pleasant. You don't like to laugh. I don't like to laugh hard. I don't mind a giggle here and there. Like sure. A, a little like chuckle. A little, a little guffaw. <laughs> but that kind of laughter, you know, laughing like you're Eddie Ward, no. That's <laughs> too much. Anytime I've ever seen you get to that place, it almost like immediately goes to anger. Yeah. You're like, stop it. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, stop! It's not funny. Stop, because it's uh, stop it. Let's 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 get it together. <laughs> well, it's a very uh, vulnerable position. It to is. Be. You it feel is. you feel out of control of your body and mind, and you're doing things that you cannot. You're not controlling your body or your mind. They're lost to you. But that's really funny that you came up with that. You just laugh till it's like white light. You know what I mean? Now, on the other hand, I like to make people laugh hard. Mm -hmm. But I think of it as tickling. It's fun to tickle someone. But who wants to be tickled? No one wants to be tickled. No. But it is funny to force someone to laugh. Yeah. Like, got it. Got him. Got, got that bastard. <laughs> I got him and I proved they're vulnerable. Uh, E-Rock. What are we plugging for you tonight? What are you doing? Uh, tonight I have uh, Chris Elliott on the show. Love Chris oh. Elliott. Talking one of my favorite his, people uh, on the planet. Yeah. Talking about his uh, new show, Schitt's Creek, which is Think awesome. Think he's going to make it? it? It's doing one season. I hope it does another season because it's really well written. Mm. But uh, I'm not sure just because it's a new network. That pop TV. Yeah, that, yeah it is a weird network. Yeah. Pop tarts used to be the and TV just guy you and channel. Chris, no one else. Uh, Chris, uh, I'm talking to the creative team behind uh, from Funko that are behind those figures that has every license and every movie and television show ever made. Now. I don't know. I'm not from. I never. They're huge. They're all I never over the collected place. things like that before. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Tonight What's Sam doing? Do you know? Um, Sam, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think he's doing an entire show. Uh, dedicated to the wrestler, uh, the the referee Earl Hebner. Wow! So um, it's a salute to the life of Earl Hebner. Not his brother? Him. Yeah. Well, his brother we didn't know he had till the ad. Was that Dave Hebner? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Earl Hebner invented this, and then holding that. Right. Other, you're like you're too slow in that last one. You could have really <laughs> done a quick three count. 
We are the sons of no one. Up on the iBank today is um, the Mike Bichetti files. Mike Bichetti is uh, writing for the iBank. Doing a hell of a job. I believe he's got a big interview going on. Who's that with, A-Train? Dave Hill. Love Dave, Dave Hill. Hill. Yeah. Super funny dude. I've seen him a couple of times. He's awesome. Also at the same place in Brooklyn? I have seen him at the Bell House. So I'm somewhere in Manhattan, too, but I can't remember where. You're very Brooklyn. Well, I live there. You and your brother are very Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I am more old school, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I'm Manhattanite. We used to run the world. Now it's Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should move to Brooklyn. Why not? Come on. Come there, on over. You're there's always welcome. a sad thing when the parents n- move to the kids. Like, we're going to move to Florida, too, then, I guess, since everybody's down there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's always kind of sad. Like, everyone moved. I guess we'll move down here. Why not? Yeah. I guess we'll just move. I feel like if I would have went to Brooklyn first, then it would have been okay. I just don't want to be the last one to Brooklyn. <laughs> Well, you're what, welcome you, anytime. Are you just getting here now? We're all going to Queens. We're headed over to Queens. Uh, and then the Bronx. And then that's it. Because there is no Staten Island. There's we'll no Shaolin. <laughs> I can't take a boat to work. Um, Rick. Go ahead, Rick. Hey, what's up, Ryan? How you doing, buddy? Well, I really don't want to discuss my personal life or feelings with you. Oh, come on. I'm in Reno, man. Just talk. All right. I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> I feel better now. You know, I'm opening up. Well, you know, I appreciate it, Ron. That, I'm that doing an Ask time. Me a couple of things on Reddit soon. <laughs> it's not going to be Ask Me Anything. It's going to be Ask Me Two Things. Some things. Yeah. Hey, um, the replacements, you know, had a lot of uh, soundtrack songs on the '90s, and they had one on the Say Anything soundtrack. Even though that's kind of an overplayed soundtrack within your there's reach, there's no such thing really. as an overplayed soundtrack. I don't think. Mm. I hate well, when people get. You know what? I come from a generation who wants to hear Hotel California every single day of their lives. <laughs> and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. That and Bob O'Reilly is all we want to hear. <laughs> and then back to Hotel California. You know what would be like the worst thing in the world? Like you know that you're nuts if you lean over the turn up Hotel California on your car radio and go like this. Oh, I love this song. <laughs> yeah, it's on all the time. <laughs> Shh, hold on. <laughs> yeah, Hotel California's on. Shh. Shh. I haven't, I haven't heard this in three hours. I like the Spanish version though. Another soundtrack song. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see that these people are in a little bit of a beef, this photographer, for taking a picture of a baby that they had made a hammock out of uh, the United States flag? Mm-hmm. So it's like a pretty little picture. It's really a well-done picture. But then people were offended because the baby is laying in a flag. Stop it. Listen, anytime you make anything that's sacred to you, you're asking for someone to hurt you with it. But I, I get that, you know, oh, burning the flag. But this is just putting a baby in it, like a little yeah. American baby. It's not wearing it as a diaper. He's not wiping his ass with it. He's just. That was uh, uh, the Larry uh, Flint did that. <laughs> he wore the flag as a diaper. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, he's taking a little nap. Clearly, he has a military daddy. He does. He has a military daddy and a military mommy. So, you know, how are you going to judge this baby? I judge that baby as being a traitor to the country by not obeying the rules of the flag. 
The rules of the flag is something that you think about in first and second grade right. quite a bit I when like they drum it. You got to fold it. You got to put it in the nice little corner like that. Yeah. It's got to go in the nice triangle. When it was my day, you just got a rumpled up flag pushed in the corner of my <laughs> elementary school. And they go like this. Uh, who did this to the flag? And I went like this. A couple of the black kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a couple of the black kids, I'm not sure. But you really take the flag thing seriously. Like, you're like, the only time to burn a flag is if it touches the ground. Right. And then we have to bury it or burn it. <laughs> That's the only time. Yeah. A lot of times at a protest when the police, oh, I'm burning a flag, the police come over. I go, it's only because it touched the ground. <laughs> See, there you go. And That's I'm positive. <laughs> I'm doing this in a respectful way. Here's the weird thing about that. Like a Viking I, funeral for this I, flag. I don't get too mad if I see Americans doing the burning of the flag because I'm like, oh, you're just trying to shock me. But it still pisses me off when I see a uh, like Iranians burning a flag. It bothers you? It bothers me. And when I see them uh, punching a paper mache Obama or George <laughs> Bush, that That's I'm like, so leave, <laughs> leave that paper mache George Bush alone. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Did you get bothered when the uh, the British melted down the Liberty Bell and made it into a cannon? I wouldn't like that. No. Yeah, I wouldn't like that either. I don't care for that. I think that's a little different. Did you hate when the Planet of the Apes buried the Statue of Liberty? I did hate that, but then it's only because I realized it was Earth all along. There's Damn a, you! <laughs> Damn you the hell! <laughs> there's a movie that I saw like many years after the ending had been spoiled for me, but I was just kind of like, well, I feel like I should watch this, even though I know where this is going. Yeah, watch it anyway. Well, you know what always annoyed me about that ending? It didn't seem like Charlton Heston took any personal responsibility. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You damn human race! That excludes only me! You're all responsible for this! You were nice to monkeys! You idiots! It's kind of a cool shot, though. It is an amazing shot. There was a shocking end to a movie with really long, long scenes. Uh, you know, I brought up that thing today about um, uh, Harper Lee, another book being, and it's a sequel book to her only book that really? she ever put out. Yeah, it's like the characters later. Uh, Scout. You see, you see Scout, once Scout starts smoking. <laughs> what in the Sam Hill are you doing? Old Atticus. Uh, I got a feeling Atticus doesn't make it I from know. one to the other because he was like a late life dad. Yeah, he was actually. But, Such uh, a great book. That was a life-changing book for me as a kid because I think it was the first time. It was the first book that I ever read that I'm like, oh, I get why people love novels. Yeah. Before that, I read a lot of books like the Pete, uh, Pistol Pete Maravich story, you know, anything about Jackie Robinson, mm -hmm. you know. Right, yeah. I would read about Joe Namath or old Negro League baseball and try to do reports on it. And the teacher would always be like, oh, good, another report you're doing on Negro League baseball, huh? <laughs> Monarchs this time? I don't know what it is about boys. They just love old statistics. Yeah, You know, I'd be in front of the room. And then the next year, he shocked them all by batting 327 <laughs> with 95 runs batted in. The end. <laughs> 
to slam that shit down. That's got to be an A. Yeah. Um, but I think that my, do you remember like the first novel that moved you almost the book that changed your life? If yeah, you will, I think for me, it was probably the outsiders. That's a good one. And not only did reading, I, I think I read it twice, like started it over immediately yeah. because I was just so enthralled with the characters and I loved them so much. And not only that, but then finding out that Essie Hinton was a woman, and that was like everything to me for some reason. It was just like I couldn't believe a, a woman wrote this story from the perspective of young men. Right, And I right. did not for a second doubt that it was written by somebody who had experienced these very same things. Right. And it really was so eye-opening to but me. I, also, I remember being like, finding it out and being emotional about it, like tearing up and just being like, oh, it's, just, oh, it's, it's a woman, is it? Like me. I'm a woman. <laughs> I'm a young woman myself, and now the world's filled with possibilities. It, it really meant everything to me, and I, I love that book. I love that book so much. You and know, it's still precious to me, like if I think about it. I... I think she was actually a girl when she wrote it too. Like She's she young. was, yeah, she was really, really young. And then she wrote like five of those books. Mm -hmm. All right, this is going to freak you out since you love that. So the other day, I'm talking to your grandmother, and I forget what we're talking about, but we always get back into you know the same shit. There's always like old Chester. Do you remember? You know, your mom is, your, your grandmother is always like, do you remember when this happened and that? So we, she was like, do you remember your aunt Miney and all this? I'm like, oh yeah, she was the older woman. You know, she had a coal stove and I used to go down and there would be like literally coal wow. in the, in the basement. And she's like, yeah. Now, do you remember her husband, Hammond? And I'm like, I kind of think I might, but I was really young when he was younger. And she goes, oh, yeah, Pony Boy. And I'm like, what? why did you say that? And she goes, "That that's what they wrote on his casket. All the guys called him Pony Boy. And I'm going, like in The Outsiders? And she goes, what are you talking about, <laughs> The Outsiders? I like Pony Boy, like Pony Boy Curtis. She's like, what? Weird. Why so you have an Uncle Pony Boy. I have an Uncle Pony Boy. Yeah. The Pony Boy. And here's the thing. You might even be him, you know, come back for all you know. I know. And I that's why be. you love that book so much. That's probably it. Old Pony Boy Curtis. So that changed your life only because you thought women can. Yeah, but type. I mean, like, I, I first had the experience of reading the book, loving the characters. And loving the story. And it was, it's written so simply and eloquently for a young person to absorb. It's like perfectly digestible for like a young reader. Right. Um, where it feels sophisticated enough. It's just enough danger. There's just enough, uh, you know, s sexiness, enough sadness. It's just right. a great mix of, of uh, youthful problems. Which I was just too young for, you right. know what I mean? Like I'm a little bit younger well, than they everybody were. that you know. Everybody that loves teenage stories are preteens. Yeah, exactly. You know, like preteens love 
uh, a movie about teenagers. Yeah. They'll love Mean Girls, where teenagers actually don't even see Mean Girls. Yeah. They're out doing shit. Yeah. But preteens are like, this is yeah, coming. Yeah, for me, like, I loved the movie Clueless, but that yeah. was because I, they were older and cooler, and I yeah. was like, that's what it's going to be like when I'm in high school. Like, There's always something yeah. in front of you. Um, but yeah, I would have been, you know, young. When I read that book, I would have been younger than high school age. And I, I had the same feeling about On the Road. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading about On the Road and having a thought as a young person who goes, because I remember like he would be like just so in love with jazz music. And then if he had this plate of beans, it would be like the best beans ever. And laying next to this, you know, girl would be important to him. And I remember like going, okay, so I really want to appreciate things. You know what I mean? I want to appreciate, uh, um, moments and i want to be able to discover beauty you know what i mean like i want to be able to say hey this simple thing is beautiful and and precious so there's um a little like passage in that book that has always stuck out to me and they have pulled off in some small town and there's a farmer there and like a farmer's daughter is just like right. kind of standing off in the distance, and he just has a love affair with her in an instant in his yeah. mind, just like looking at this like simple farm girl. And then that's it. We never talk about the right. farm girl again. It's just one moment where he's like, "This girl could change my life." Yeah. And now he's back in the car and he's moving on. But it was like he had this like incredibly like almost like holy moment, just like looking at this girl who, you know, of course, because this is the way it always goes, is like fourteen or fifteen. And oh, he's yeah. an adult man, you know. Yeah. But uh, it's such a great, great passage. And I think it kind of sums up the whole feeling of the book is just very in the moment and very appreciating beauty, but everything is kind of thrown out after, you yeah. know, it's just like kind of all whipping by. And it's a the, great book. I, it wasn't until years later I realized how many people I handed that book to because years ago, I used to give it to people who said they didn't read. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I go, okay, I got a book for you. And then, you know, let that. And some of the people held on to it for a long time. And other people bring it up as as, as if I'm the only one that they ever handed it to. I don't know why I did. I must have done it, like, in my early 20s or something. Um, you didn't need that microphone, did you? But have you ever gone back to a thing and then not liked it so much? Cause, um, like reread a book? Because that or... happened to me. No, but I'm like, even the thought of it, like the electrical aid acid test, oh, I loved, yeah. you loved when I was younger. And then as I got older, I'm like, what? Yeah, the more you think. Well, not only I watched a documentary about those guys, and I'm like, I wouldn't even like those guys. Yeah. They were like fucking dude bros <laughs> that were fucking dosing people. Tra- traveling like jackass kind of type. Yeah, I mean? but jackass, but older and like less funny. <laughs> you know, they were just really strange California guys or Oregon guys or wherever they were from. Just yeah. West Coast cold people. You know how people are so cold on the West They're Coast. Very cold. Yeah. yeah. Like they're they- going like this. Mom died. Um, <laughs> the K 
Californians. Californians. Some people hate that sketch so it's much. It's a very polarizing not... sketch. I, I know. noticed that on the SNL 40, where if you were following along on Twitter, it was as extreme as, this is the funniest fucking thing that's ever happened, to, why is this on? This is so <laughs> terrible. This is the worst sketch ever. And the next tweet being like, I love this sketch so much. It's very you know what, Twitter, sketch. anytime you watch SNL on Twitter, you will see that people make too big a deal about things. They act like sketches hurt them. <laughs> uh, Russ wrote, Old Man in the Sea. Um, I remember that, like, being at the age where you're going, okay, I can read Hemingway. Because it was always like, this is Hemingway. He got his gun, and then he went over... And got his sleeping bag. <laughs> you know, and you're yeah. like, I got this. I can read along with this. I wish I could remember what the first Hemingway book I read was. But I just, I like, I have a memory of I was holding it. And um, I was over uh, your parents' house, right? I'm at my grandparents' house. Yeah. And <clears throat> you're like, oh, you're reading. And I wish I could remember what the first one was. But I'm reading one of his books. And you said... <clears throat> You start to describe his writing exactly like you just said, right? Yeah. So you're like, so simple. <laughs> Everything is just like, each sentence is like five five words. Like, you'll have to tell me what you think of it. I'm like, yeah, cool. So then five minutes later, my grandfather comes in. He's like, yeah. Hemingway, eh? And I was like, yeah, I'm just starting it. And he's like, boy, can that guy really drag on a sentence <laughs> describing every little detail. And I just remember thinking like, which one of you is right? Because you're both very confident about this. But I was like, do they both know his writing and they just see it totally different? That's two different. First, first of all, you never told me that. I love it, though. But that's every conversation I've ever had with my dad my entire life. It was very eye opening to uh, your relationship. This is this is funny. So I was talking to him last Sunday, and I was telling him that your brother was hanging out in England, and he goes, uh, "What's he doing?" I go, "I think he's hit every museum in in London." And he goes like this: "The Wax Museum." I go, "Why? Why are you going to find a place that he obviously didn't go? Wait, that's not going to be a museum that he's going to go to. <laughs> not that, every museum, yeah. then, because not the Wax Museum." I like to just give them, you know, I like to give them enough to, you know, tee off on me a little bit, you know. I give them, like, I think Obama's really turned the country around in the right way. Just enough to... Just to get him yeah, going. get his blood going and up and going. It's good for him. Yeah. Because he calls Fox the news. Mm -hmm. And that always makes watch, me laugh. I was watching the news. Um, um, not really. Hey, Dan, you're on the uh, Bennington Show. Don't like a million bucks, Randy B. Hey. Um, Wondering, did you ever read a book back, uh, maybe in your youth, called Go Ask Alice? It's so weird that you say that because Liz Sets Fire wrote it at the same time. But yeah, oh, I remember that that book. It should have been subtitled "Attempting to Scare All Teenagers Scared Straight," but uh, that was a hell of a book. I don't judge. Not, not for me. I just wanted to get high after reading that. <laughs> it was like a. I didn't read that one. It was like a down. Yeah. Well, it was kind of written by a girl who grew up in the '60s, so kids who come at, at age in the '70s were reading it. But it was like, and um, I don't think. I don't think the writer ever said who they were, so it probably wasn't a teenage girl who wrote it. It was probably uh, 
an older... Yeah, it said right on the book, Ronnie, it was written by Anonymous. Yeah, it was written by a man, right. probably a child psychologist. But basically, you know, she was tripping and smoking pot and, you know, her whole life was out of control. So, um, everything that I wanted. <clears throat> I'm like, yes, one. please. <laughs> um, Chris... Go ahead, Chris. You're on Bennington. Hey, I, got, I got a general question, guys. I um I never read poetry because I, I feel like songs have taken the place of poetry. That's the craziest um, thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, you will sit and read poetry, Ron? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Like I, 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 base, I feel like I get the the, the content or the. There, there's not a single songwriter who will tell you that he's writing poetry. As a matter of fact, a lot of songwriters write poetry on the side. Yeah. You don't feel like Dylan's writing poetry? And, no. Uh, okay, it feels like enough. he's writing song lyrics. Okay, I, I don't know how you would uh, break down the need of. Needing a poem versus a novel, or not even needing, I don't know, whatever, whatever it fills inside of you. But I, I guess my question for you about novels is I, I, I don't get into them so much because I feel like film has taken so much of the, um, the place of Totally them. different so experience. Wonder, it scratches a different itch, yeah. I think. It's just but like. But what such are you guys getting different... out of a novel? Are you getting a high spot moment where, you know, I mean, I, I read Fear and Loathing. That's that where the wave broke speech is just my favorite thing ever written anywhere. Well, like first I, of all, I, I'm. I don't know if anything could take you away like reading a novel. And I don't know if there's anything I admire more anywhere in the arts than somebody who's written a novel. You know? Yeah, it's... It's the most impressive marathon-inducing thing. And perhaps that it's a situation where movies are more popular, but I just, it can't take the place because it doesn't do the same thing. And you can say the same about movies. I was having a conversation a few years ago with a group of people who were convinced that video games were going to take over movies and there won't be movies anymore. Everything will be an interactive experience. Maybe video games will get to the point where they become more popular and, you know, your mom will be playing video games like that. I understand the idea, but you're not going to have I don't watch a movie to be involved. Mm -hmm. You know, that's going to that's going to stimulate a different part of your brain and it's not going to be the same experience. And maybe interactive games will, you know, flow into something else and it'll, they would it'll have to because not i mean as of right now has anyone ever learned something from a game other than the skills it takes to move apart in a game the way you can from a book or a movie you know like i don't know if if anything you can push life away playing a video game but it doesn't you it doesn't reinforce life yeah and it doesn't and change the way you look at something and it's also just a different experience it can yeah. be an enjoyable experience but like, I don't know, don't you put on TV to get away from something else and now you've like gone into this whole different world and you can kind of like shut down, right? You, mm. you can kind of shut down and like put your whole head into a movie or your whole head into a show. But with a, a, an interactive experience, you're involved. It's just a different thing. So for the same reason, I just don't think... I wouldn't say that movies replaced books in any way. It's just a different uh, experience. 
No, I don't even. I, I, first of all, his his initial thing is why would we read poetry when we have songs now? I mean, he may have been the craziest person I've ever heard of before. I mean, songs are also not a new invention either. You know I, I, mean? I guarantee you that that man has a woman down in a pit. You know what I mean? <laughs> or do me is probably what he's saying. <laughs> Put the fucking dog in the basket. Um, Come here, precious, you little shit. Precious, you little shit. <laughs> That woman might be the greatest actor of all time. <laughs> to come up with that, I'll break his laggers. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we can have poetry and uh, music at the same time. Music is not a newfangled thing that replaced poetry. Why would we need painting now that we have... Um, Photography. Yeah, now we have pictures. By the way, M- Madonna was in... The building, was it yesterday, the day before, with Howard Stern? Mm-hmm. And she used to date Basquiat, right? He dated Madonna. And he painted these pictures for her, for her. When they broke up, he said, give me my paintings back. And then while she was sitting there, he painted them black over top of them. He painted what, oh for all we know, could be masterpieces black because Madonna pissed them off. That's really incredible. That's hilarious. And seems very him. It is very him, but it's so heartbreaking. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, in a way, it's like Madonna kind of blacked out art. Thanks, Madonna. You ruined it for everyone else. I'm with Jelly Bean now, so I'm sorry. Uh, Chris... Hey, Chris and Maine. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Juan. Good morning, you guys. Good morning. What can we do for you? Hold on. Do you there? Yeah. Uh, The horrible movie, great soundtrack, Valley Girl. Uh, Book you at Grendel. Well, I wouldn't... First of all, I don't even think it's a horrible movie, uh, but it is a pretty great soundtrack. It's it's an amazing soundtrack, and the Plimsolls are used several times on that soundtrack, and there's a band who I learned from that movie and then started listening to their music, and they're really cool. You know who loves them? Who's that? Flathead. I actually I did know that. Yeah. I totally know that, because I was listening to them once, and he was like, what are you listening to? And I was, li- and he was all like, what? Why are you listening to the Plimsolls? I was just oh, a kid. Oh, when you were a little girl? Yeah, I was just a kid. And then we sat and talked about the talked to Plimsolls. Um... I think Flats is getting out of the hospital this week, but I don't. This is the weirdest thing. So he had to have a skin graft, right, mm. on his foot, and they didn't take the the skin off his ass. They blew it. They grew it in a petri dish. What? Yeah, that's weird. Flats is the future. He's a bionic man. He is somewhat of a cyborg, I guess. They, he's, they've grown skin on the outside of his metal skeleton. Now, did Robert Downey Jr. show up and give him his new skin? I, that would be the loveliest thing ever. You go like this, Robert. No, they would never let Robert Downey Jr. near Flathead. It's not going to be a good combination. That would be awful. <laughs> that would be bad for everybody but Flathead, who would still act like it all came out great. 
He's a very sweet man. He writes every day from the hospital. Um, what do we got to plug? You got to listen to E-Rock uh, later on tonight, 9 o'clock, right, E-Rock? 7 p.m. 7 p.m., but I'm on saying 9 o'clock if you're in Nova Scotia. Yes. and Or Newfoundland uh, with him and... Um, Chris, I think it's Chris Rock with you, right? I wish it was Chris Rock, yes. <laughs> I have Chris Elliott on the Chris show. Chris Elliott is going to be there. And then also Elliott from ET is going to talk about what it was like. That's going to be great. Yeah. Three o'clock today uh, is going to be Sam. Sam's doing a big show. What's that going to be about? I believe it is a musical journey through wrestling theme songs. Oh, great. Yeah. Mr. Which, Perfect is my favorite. Over Demolition? Uh, yeah, over demolition. I love that Mr. Perfect song. How'd that go? Da, 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 da. I do everything perfect, McMahon. This just makes me want to spit my gum out and slap it. <laughs> this is such a great move. <laughs> you just made Fez very proud. <laughs> this whole thing, he's like, oh God, if we could do wrestling things, I know what I want to do. <laughs> remember, the, uh, remember when Tom Petty, uh, they had a wrestling theme? Yeah. With Bret Hart? Making some noise. Look at me, mama. mama. I'm making, making some noise. noise. I know one little boy who that was his favorite song. Of course it was. <laughs> it was the only thing he had on his little iPod. <laughs> um, and then tonight, uh, I have Paul F. Tompkins on Mass that plays on Indie at 9 o'clock tonight. And then right here on the Opie channel at 11 p.m. tonight. Um, all right. Uh, Jason Steele wrote book talk on hashtag Bennington. My genitals are hardening. Is that a good <laughs> thing or a bad thing? I can't tell. Depends if you're a boy or a girl. Yeah. Um, if you're a girl, I'd be concerned. <laughs> Raise the board said, I learned from Grand Theft Auto is uh, spawning is like heaven, that life is less important because I'll be coming back after I die. So there are things you can learn. Good point. Um, yeah. Um, all right, people are already writing in the Ronnie B quotes that I said to you about the outsiders. That changed your life only because you found out that women can type. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just. Uh, I shared something nice with you. No, you Gail Bennington quotes Twitter act. Someone get on that. <laughs> I don't even know what uh, the Queen means by that. Um. Let's see. Ready to destroy today. Thanks to my wingman. Hashtag Bennington. <laughs> Jason Steele says hashtag uh, Bennington is my cocaine and coffee in the morning. It gets me through my day like a parent holding their child's hand across the road. I think that's nice. That seems nice. Gail laughed a little too hard at that black guy's did it joke. <laughs> what? I didn't um, laugh. That wasn't me. Um, Eric called it Puppet Master Radio, hashtag Bennington. Bumping the replacements today is fucking badass, Ronnie B. It was badass. That was your pick. Yeah, that was my pick. It was a good call. Yeah. 
Um, nice the Dire Maker says nice work by Gail turning the Ron Funches card on Ronnie. You did get He's me did. right back at you. Um. <laughs> Twiggy says you should look for the Grayson and Witcher version of Rose Connolly. It's probably the best. Ah. Boy, that boy makes so many noises during the show. It's very difficult. Uh, Lauren Michelle is enjoying her weekly serving of Bennington, although you started all the trouble yesterday. What was the trouble? Uh, she made up the meme of Fezzy crying. Oh, no. Yeah. Seems like that's so. What this was is, that Rose Connolly cover called? Oh, uh, we brought up the people who did it. Oh. You'll have to listen to this on replay to get okay. it from me because I can't go back and find okay. it. <laughs> it's just way too far. <laughs> I like that we have all the opening to it. <laughs> it really makes it better. <laughs> Um, yeah. What's coming up next? What's the name of the show that's on next scale? Uh, Accelerated. Accelerated. You're definitely going to check that out. I don't know whether we uh, made it this time. I sure hope we did. I have my fingers crossed. I have my fingers crossed too, but you never know. Accelerated uh, isn't for anyone. Everyone. So I guess we got to get ready to wrap this up. You have another show to do today. Well, not for another two hours. I got some time to go out chopping, you know? And I'm going to find the perfect pair of spring shoes. (laughs) You're already ready for the spring fashions, eh? I believe they're made by Converse. (laughs) It's such a joke. They start putting spring clothes out in the window. It's such a tease and you're still all bundled up. It's still cold out. I st- but you know it's coming. I mean, you know? I know, but... They always say like this. They say March comes in like a lion and then leaves like a much nicer lion. Right. Really nice, nice lion. Yeah. And then April is like a wet lion. Mm-hmm. And then June and May are like lions too. Mm-hmm. August is a hot, sweaty yeah. lion that smells in the subway. But September lion... It's starting to cool down. That's a the back to school lion. That's <laughs> the lion that's getting new notebooks and trapper mm-hmm. keepers. Uh, we got anything else we need to plug today? I don't know whether we do. Listen to Sam's show at three, Erock's show at seven. Um, listen to every single show. Listen to all the shows. Listen to every show that comes up every moment of the day. And listen to that Ron and Fish show. That Ron and Faye show. Digging that Ron and Faye show. Love that song. So that is it for us. Yeah. Gail, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. You got to stop in and do the Ron and Faye show sometime. I would love to do that. We uh, had, we did it once before. We had a good time. We did it once before. I didn't enjoy it too much, you know? Well, we we had fun. Fez was glaring at you the whole time. Fez, hmm. Fez was having troubles that day. 
Oh, was it a bad Fez day? Um, no, it's just remember that was when he was um, accosted on the street by a, oh. s- a sassy gay couple. Yeah, it's always something. So he was pretty upset about that. No but one, we all did have fun over it. Hopefully n- Fez did too. No one hates gays as much as Fez. It's really, really ironic. <laughs> all right, folks, so take care of yourself. Ladies and gentlemen... The evening is over. We all hope you enjoy yourselves, and we'll see you all again in 1974. Good evening. You've been listening to Bennington, only on OP Radio. XM 103, Sirius 206. You can listen to it again by going to Sirius XM On Demand. Oh,